uh, how how's it hanging, <laughs> viewers? <laughs> What's up? Oh, all two of hard. you. It's, it's us. <laughs> yeah. I am TJ. And, <laughs> and I'm trying to do this different, but I'm not doing very well. It's somehow more awkward than the in-person episodes. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, you know what? For posterity, for professionalism's sake, let's we'll, we'll be up front. We're, we're doing another one of these impromptu thingies because we uh, missed another week. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you before we went live, do you care if I put you on the spot by going... Do you know why? Would you like to explain why <laughs> there's no oh. episode this week? Oh, yeah, I, I can do that. I can explain why there's no episode this week. Uh, I have a one word, and that is, well, I guess it's, it's two words. It's a hyphenated word. Failsafe. Failsafe is the word of the evening. Uh, we <laughs> went to record an episode on the movie Green Room, which I think I think it's also just kind of funny that we're just going to reference that episode constantly, uh-huh. but never release it because it sounds like dog shit. Uh, basically, what happened is we were recording uh, everything so far. Everything looked good. Like all the, rec- the recording levels were great. The video was great. Uh, I just I remember having a thought before I left my house to go to Travis's and I was like, I don't need headphones. I don't need to bring <laughs> my headphones. And then I uh, popped the video on a flash drive and put it on my computer. And I sat down to be like, I can't wait to listen to this great, funny episode that we recorded. <laughs> and then it's just staticky and garbled and garbage. And I'm to this day, I still don't know why that happened. I troubleshooted it with troubleshot, troubleshooted. Oh, uh, I put all five mics into the thing, tested all of them did everything that I could to try to simulate the problem and it didn't show up. The only thing I can think of is that the plug wasn't plugged all the way in into the power strip. Like the mixer plug wasn't plugged in all the way. It was like partially in and that's what caused the staticky problem. So that's why we don't have an episode, a new one. But it was great and funny. It was. It was great. (laughs) Andy Um, joked about wanting to do heroin. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it it all is like you saying. Oh, we have like an episode that we just referenced that nobody over here. It's like it, it just adds adds to the the rest of our pre podcast episodes. That's true. Yeah, like Justice League and Cats and Ikiru, um, everything before Ben and Arthur. Everything before uh, Ben and Arthur. Yeah, I was going through some clips because I think the other night we were like kind of reminiscing about the good old days, AKA like a year ago. And I I was going through Travis's (laughs) channel because I know he doesn't stream all that much, but he's got a decent amount of clips. And Uh I found a clip from one of those movies, but it was like, Oh, like from the, from from one of the, it was, it was from his perspective, but it was one of our older episodes that I was like, Oh, this isn't much, but I hadn't even thought to check out his. Yeah. Huh? So yeah, I know there's cool. like the the plate. That's one of the clips, or like the, the two plate. delays. But oh no, I, no, I guess that uh, that that's not an old one. What am I thinking of? The two delays was from a more. I don't remember which one that was, but that's uh, close up. That's close up. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, because I think that's that one's on the Dutch channel. That's like one yeah. of the few clips that we actually have on here. 
Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I, anyways, all that said, now uh, we have another throwback episode. One of those ones from the pre-podcast days that uh, we managed to save the audio for. Yeah. Uh, where we talk about um, the 2004, I think, yeah. movie House of Flying Daggers, directed by Zhang Yimou, a very visual, visually striking director. Mm-hmm. It's a very pretty movie, um, which is why it's really cool to listen to in audio mm-hmm. form about <laughs> a very visually striking movie. I, <laughs> I left in a bunch <laughs> of the artifacts from the old days, too. Like it's it literally literally starts out with Travis like slushing ice in a cup. Oh yeah, yeah. And you then, mentioned that. Yeah. I think one of your cats like freaks out on you. Okay. You say you say like one of your cats will be in your lap and then he just gets like this glaze. You you describe it as a glazed oh. look and then he just bites your arm and I think you like yeah. fling him over your shoulder and the cat is just like. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and travis is like oh yeah. you just got canceled <laughs> like you, you did the streamer throw the cat thing that you're not supposed to do yeah 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 that's you, marty you as like, soon as you said like the frozen like glazed look that's marty for sure <laughs> like you sound like even while i was editing it you sounded terrified you're like no 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 because <laughs> i think you, I, he is uh <laughs> And uh, he doesn't usually do that anymore. Like, yeah. I think I was, when that happened, I was really surprised because he hadn't done that, like, in a really long time. Um, but he is normally, like, the gentlest, sweetest cat. Mm-hmm. But I think because he was the one that lived outside for, like, 10 years. And, like, he's got, he had, like, scarring. Like, he got in fights with, like, coyotes and oh, foxes shit. and raccoons and, like, any old, like, randomly at night because this is one that that we had out of my parents house he was uh-huh. i got him when i lived with my parents um uh, wait is that the cat that you got for like your birthday that one year not my oh, it was christmas but but yeah yeah i got him back in 2008 oh i thought yeah. i thought that that cat went outside and then i i didn't is that the one that lived in that little like box thing on the porch mm-hmm. oh yeah. i didn't realize it was yeah. that cat i thought Oh, yeah. I thought he just went outside, and, like, when he was around, he was around, and, like, I didn't think he was still around. Well, yeah, no, that's the thing, is, like, for most of the time that he was around, like, because he lived outside, um, I didn't see him much. He he mostly was just kind of, like, a wander around, and then, you know, we'd feed him, and he'd show up for food and stuff, but um, he was mostly a wanderer. Uh, but you would hear, like, in the middle of the night, you would hear, like, and then, like like wild animal like screeching and stuff and like yeah he he had marks and everything um so anyways i think it's i think it's from his past living like a a half wild animal that comes into those nom flashbacks yeah and he like he when he gets like that and again like that was that time on the podcast is the the only time he's done it in like two years it seems like but he has his jaw. He has like a hippo strength jaw. <laughs> he bites down. Um, and it's probably also because he doesn't have, because um, my parents are just, they like, we don't do this, but my parents always declawed our cats. Um, so he didn't have any front 
claws. So I think he, I, my thinking is he, he made up for it with his teeth and his back claws. Cause what he would do is he would bite down and hold with his front and with his, with his mouth. And he would like strength, like with his front paws, he actually had like grip strength. Like it was hard to like get his front paws off. And then he would just <laughs> take his back feet and kick. Yeah. Like, like the disemboweling I, like, move. Yeah. Like I have like scratches like down my arms I still have, I have a, a pretty, you can't really see it on the camera, but I have a pretty significant scar I think down I remember the side that. of my hand. You might. It was pretty bad when it happened, and this was probably when I was still in high school. Um, Jesus. Yeah, down the side of my hand from, from him. <laughs> so that cat lived outside for like a decade, out in like mm-hmm. the, just the middle of nowhere with pretty no much. front claws and still, holy still shit. kicked ass. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He's God he's damn. like Yeah. And like he's so he's got such a weird like it's funny cuz like he looks really like sickly and gangly, but I think he's like totally fine and he's like 13 years old now, 13, 14. And I always make jokes that he's going to like outlive me. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be the last one living in this house. <laughs> But yeah, he uh, again. Most I don't want to paint him in a bad light. Most of the time, he is a super, super sweet cat. It's just he's still a little scary <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he's earned it. Oh, though. yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, I guess getting back to, to getting back to what we were planning on doing for this is uh, where uh, Nick had the idea for us to do a sort of twenty twenty one recap. We. We we did do a couple episodes on 2021 movies. We did The Suicide Squad, Justice League, Matrix yeah. Resurrections. Yeah. But most of the time, most of the time, we you know, we're doing older movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, we're just going to, we figured th- might as well take this opportunity to kind of cover anything we saw in the last year. Any, I guess I would say, I don't know what you were planning on doing, but like you were talking like, mainly talking about things that came out in 2021 right I think not so, just like yeah okay that's what i would prefer to because then that like that opens my list up a lot if it's just like anything where like yeah. there's i'm sure there's other things that i want to talk about but like having a smaller list makes it easier to yeah i gotta go check off. my letterbox i don't know if i i don't know if i like rated all of them but i didn't um i might not have seen a ton of movies in 2021 actually I should actually do my. Um, let's see. Where I'm gonna check it? my. That's that's actually a good idea. Did I log? Because I always, I have lists. I always make lists on Letterbox for like everything I saw for the first time in 2020 in 2021. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot of this stuff is old. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, I'm bad at Letterbox. Oh. <laughs> I'm bad at just like at least like logging everything. Like even if I don't have a review, I wish I would, because I, I I know the movies that I saw in 2021. I saw old, and I saw oh you did, I saw old twice actually, <laughs> with different twice. people. It wasn't because I was so captivated by M Night, Sh- M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> that I had to see it again. Uh, uh-huh. I saw old. I saw Pig. God, what else? I mean, I I think Licorice Pizza technically counts as 2020. I saw it in 2022, but it technically came out 2021. So I don't know if that. I would say it's 2021. Some wiggle, movie, there's some wiggle room. Yeah. Uh, let's just do this. Let's do movies released in 2021, and then I will see if I saw them. Well, 
uh, while while you do that, I'll kind of <laughs> lean in on one of those that you mentioned that I just watched. Um, uh, pig. I just watched Pig. Oh, I'm very curious um, what you think. I actually, I when you suggested doing the like 2021 thing, I was like, oh man, I don't think I've really seen. Like again, most uh, I I like I looked at my list of stuff from 2021 that came out and like, you know, there's stuff that we've either done episodes on or that we have discussed, like mm-hmm. Bo Burnham's Inside or, yeah. uh, uh, I know I've talked about, like Bad Trip was one because that was just on the, the uh, yeah. So it's like I need more stuff that we haven't brought up and. Um, I noticed Hulu had all three of these that were on my list. They're all, it's fun. I thought they were all pig movies, but I have to refine it. But Hulu had all three of these, uh, I'll just say truffle animal <laughs> related movies <laughs> that were all on my list. Um, okay. And I watched all three of them. Uh, those being Pig, uh, Gunda, and The Truffle Hunters. Oh, okay. Um, the Truffle Hunters is actually about dogs. It's not about pigs, but I think I just associated it with the movie yeah, Pig and it's a truffle and thought pig. it was, yeah, thought it was pigs. Um, I gave them all, I gave them all sevens, um, different. Uh, I think if I had to order them from lowest to highest, it would go Pig, Gunda, Truffle Hunters. Truffle Hunters was really close to an eight. I I really enjoyed Truffle Hunters a lot. Um, I liked them all, but, um, yeah, I think Truffle Hunters stood out the, the most to me. Truffle Hunters and Gunda are both, uh, documentaries too, I should say. Oh, okay. But both interesting documentaries. Um, so I'll go over those briefly and then we can kind of go into pig more because that's something that we both saw, I guess. Yeah. We can talk about a little bit more. Um, so Gunda is a black and white um i think it's technically called an experimental documentary but basically what that means is it's, it's there's no music no voiceover no nothing it's just still shots of primarily primarily this pig this mother pig named gunda and her 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 litter i don't mm-hmm. know what her her piglets um basically as they're like from the moment that they're born pretty much until it, the ending is, uh, that got me. I, I, I kept like comparing all of these movies too, because I'm like, okay, cause I went into them all thinking like, okay, these pig movies, <laughs> I got like, so it's kind of like weighing them against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that one out of all three of these got, got the bit like most emotional like reaction. Out of Gunda me, did. Which is, yeah. Which is surprising because it's again, no dialogue, no nothing. Um, you're just with these pigs for like an hour and a half. Um, and then like, it'll cut away. Like there's this, like it follows some chickens for a little bit and then it'll go and it'll follow some cows for a little bit. But most of it is this, is this family of pigs and grows. Well, I don't know how long, cause they're not like adults, but they're like, you know, they're bigger piglets by the mm-hmm. end. Um, and then the end of it is like, you see a, like a crate on a, on like a, a tractor or something come in and then you don't, you don't see it. And I mean, it's not like it's violent or anything, but like they, they load all the pigs piglets on and to be sold at auction or whatever. 
because they're farm pigs. So that's why it's like the movie itself isn't very like until then isn't very like sad other than like it all has this underlying current of like, you know, these pigs, these chickens, these cows are all gonna be meat essentially yeah. <laughs> you think about it and yeah. that and that's where it really hits you because like then what it does is um uh it's that shot you just see all you see is like you see the doorway of their little pig pen that that they've that you see this shot a lot in the movie like the opening shot is literally like f- five ten minutes of and this is what i mean how it's like where it gets kind of like experimental i guess a little bit is like it's literally just like a static shot of this door and this pig's laying in the door frame. And when it starts, you're like, wait, is this pig dead? And it's like, oh, no, she's actually giving birth. And then, like, you see the piglets kind of, like, crawl out. Um, and then they'll, like, go inside. And it gets really into, like, I don't know how they get some of these shots, really. I mean, I guess, like, they're animals. It's not like they have to, like, get consent or whatever. But, like, the way that the, the animals, like, don't really react to the camera in a way, you know, where you think that they would maybe. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyways, it's this shot of the of the doorway. You see the box move up and then it's there for like a minute or two and then it goes away. And then Gunda is the only one left. And it's probably like a 15 minute shot of her just walking back and forth. Like around the around the little like her little yard. And like at first she's like, rawr, 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 like making like oinking noises just constantly. And then it like slows down and she like goes back and like looks in the pig pen and then she like goes back around and then she looks back she sticks her head back in the pig pen and like oh man it's like <laughs> it was it was really i was like fuck dude <laughs> it was really heavy it's like man it's making me feel for these pigs <laughs> yeah that's uh i'd like to think that after they got that shot the truck just came back and gave her all the pigs <laughs> <Yeah>. again <laughs> yeah oh uh, that's yeah. that oh like I was gonna say, Pig has a like the movie Pig has a pretty like, I would say hard hitting ending, but like, that's sure. that's yeah. just hard hitting and it's like very real. It's, a, it's oh, well, I mean, not to say that that's not like I mean, the reason for the sad stuff in Pig is also because of humans, but it's like yeah, <laughs> okay. For I guess I'll say at the beginning of the movie. Um, maybe like 15 minutes in one of her piglets is like it's like the runt and it's not um, getting you you realize it's not getting it's not feeding so it's weaker it's Mm -hmm. smaller and I guess this is a thing that pigs do and I was actually kind of shocked like I like that they just showed it but I mean that's how the movie is she she uh, she crushes it like she she kills it and I guess that's the thing that animals do and like uh, I remember watching that being like that's fucked up obviously like you see like you can, it's not super gratuitous but you can kind of see like underfoot like the it's, it's a little you see a little bit of the s- stuff uh, um and um it's like that's fucked up but the ending is so much worse because it's like because it's people doing it right it's people taking her animals away it's yeah. like we as humans are like should be stewards of the earth to Mm -hmm. all the other animals in the animal kingdom so when we take our our advantage and like you know just as the the whole meat industry and everything it's like it is it is you know vegetarian veganism and blah 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 but like that's why like as like 
gross as her killing her piglet was at the beginning. Yeah. It's not like it didn't strike me as much as the ending because it's just like that. Well, that's not fair. Like, yeah. Those are her kids. It's like it's like completely different complete completely different angle. But I remember seeing somewhere that like the, I think it might have been like the Cincinnati Zoo. They had to, mm-hmm. <laughs> they had to close a chimpanzee exhibit, and the reason mm-hmm. that they told the general public was that one of the ch- <laughs> one of the chimpanzees it, it had it had given birth and it was a stillborn, and okay. like the chimpanzees <laughs> and the signs that the chimpanzees were mourning the loss, but in all actuality, the chimpanzees had torn it apart. <laughs> And we're just throwing it around the cage. Because chimpanzees are just just ungodly, just like brutal and savage. But like, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. like telling the public that they're mourning the loss. But just and they just throw. It. <laughs> it's wow. Um, that's awesome. Actually, there was like another monkey kind of. story, real quick. That was like okay, it was going yeah, around go on Twitter, it. but it was about John C. Riley. I don't know if you saw this. He was talking about Nothing. it was uh, he was talking about the monkey in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He he says he says my worst experience with another actor was in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story with Willie, who happens to be a chimpanzee. We did a scene where I kiss him. In the first version, I'm saying no one understands me. You're my only friend. <laughs> I have this real heart to heart talk with the chimp. And Jake Kasdan, the director, was like, it's almost too sweet. Maybe you should get mad or something. And I did a take that ended up in the movie where I go, I'm sick of all this crap. All you care about is fruit and touching yourself. And I got up and storm off and I thought, whatever, he's a chimpanzee. He's not going to notice what I do from take to take. I came back and the look on Willie's face was heartbreaking. This shocked, (laughs) hurt look. And I was like, oh, Willie, I'm sorry. He was a little tentative at first, and then he reached out and wanted to hug me. And I hugged him and said, it's okay, it's okay. And we did the scene a few more times, and I'd yell at him again. Eventually, he started to understand, oh, it's like a game. You do that. He even started to play with me and shows his teeth like, I can be angry at you too. But by the end of it, we were really great pals. It was sad to see him go. That's awesome. It's just like John C. Riley is, he's so good. That's that's awesome. But just like to hear that about like how smart animal how pigs pigs are yeah. smart pigs are so yeah. smart yeah yeah yes and uh anyways that's so that's gunda and then truffle hunters um is also kind of an interesting take on a documentary like i said i thought it a couple times and like i said it to Killian, she's she's thought the same thing that like if i didn't know this was a documentary ahead of time it almost seems like like a wes anderson type movie oh yeah it's i i should say it's a lot lighter than pig and gunda it's um not that there is some kind of like moments that make you like like but for the most part it's a very light-hearted and like fun uh Mm -hmm. documentary and it's like again most of the shots are just like static Mm -hmm. just straight on but um you're following this it's not like not like a group group like they're not all like together they all know each other but you're following like a a bunch of uh like old men who truffle or who hunt for white alba truffles with their dogs in northern italy um so 
it's just all these old dudes that like do it as like a hobby or like they i think they they it kind of goes into like the different reasons why people are into this hobby mm-hmm. kind of and like what they all get out of it and like there's one dude who like halfway through the movie he's like decides that he's going to quit because there's too many people who truffle hunt he's like he's like the the main reason i'm quitting is because of greedy people nobody likes to just go out in the woods with their dogs and hunt for truffles people just do it for money and um i don't know it's just it's really cute it it's really it's just like a cute movie like there's all these like these dudes are literally like in their mid 80s like this one dude is like 87 and there's multiple scenes where he's with his wife and she's like you need to stop doing this like what if you fall out there like she's like you're not you're not a young man if you fall that could be it like because you see like the opening scene one of the dudes is like on the side of this hill with his dogs and like you don't realize but like it's a really steep hill and you're like Mm. yeah like if i fell down that hill i could be fucked (laughs) yeah i'm 30 and i would be like i'm out for a while yeah 87 you're dead yeah um and then like i'll just say the like the, the final shot of the movie is like this dude's win the window to this guy's house and his dog's like chained up outside and it's like pit it's nighttime it's the middle of the night and you see like the window open and then the old guy crawls out and he takes his dog that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty great that's that's um good. and he like he also like he talks to his dog a lot like he has it like sitting up on the table when he's eating and like they're very like it's it's for dog lovers i guess it's like one yeah. of those movies it's 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 very it's a very sweet uh movie and yeah, there's, like, even the way that, like, some of the scenes are structured and, like, shot. Like, I was, like, it, I, I had to look it up I, I to, like, double check, I, like, make sure, like, this is a documentary. Because there's some where I'm, like, this looks like a set. There's this, this looks like this was designed to be, <laughs> to, like, hold this conversation between these two people right now. But it's documentary. But, um, yeah. Where I, is it shot I, at, I, like? It, Italy. It's. Italy, uh, okay. I don't, it just said northern Italy. So, okay. I don't know. Um, it does look like kind of central Europe. Like mm-hmm. it could be Italy. It could be like Germany. It could be Switzerland, you know, kind of like, like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's also really short. Uh, that was another thing I liked about all these movies. They were all like 80 to 90 minutes, mm-hmm. super short, super tight. Um, and of the three, that one was my favorite. Okay. Uh, but, um, I mean, I mean, I would, I would say I enjoyed all three of them. Uh, yeah, and I guess we'll we'll get on to to pig now since that's something <laughs> we both know. Um, and I'll let you go off in a little bit since uh, I had the last two. Oh sure, um, yeah, yeah. So pig pig was a movie that I feel like I don't know if it was mismarketed or maybe it was marketed this way intentionally, but the way that the commercials made it seem, it it really looked like it was gonna be like, what if Nicolas Cage had a pig in the woods and it got stolen and he goes John Wick on people's asses. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of like the trail I think even the trailers kind of wanted to convey that image. And mm. then it totally was nothing near a John Wick movie. Mm. Like it, it's very it's very quiet and somber. Like I don't think there's a I think the first like maybe 5 to 10 minutes it's like there's no dialogue whatsoever. It's Nicolas Cage walking around with this pig, mm-hmm. like truffle hunting. Um, yeah. And then it it sort of builds in this backstory, like 
the kid from Hereditary, and also uh, yeah, Wolf. Else. I forget. I think it's Alex Wolf. He has a brother, and I forget which one it is. But okay, they were in Alex. like the Naked Brothers band, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Which Alex Wolf is also he probably was in two two movies, one of the best, and then maybe oh, yeah. one of the not so best of twenty twenty one, which we'll get yeah. to later. Um Yeah. But yeah, so Alex Wolf is basically Nicolas Cage's like connection to the outside world. Like Nicolas Cage's character lives a very nomadic life, I would say. And then this kid shows up and he buys truffles from Nicolas Cage. And I think that's kinda how he survives out in the woods it's it doesn't really seem like he has like running water or i guess he i guess it's more modern than that like he's got electricity and like running water yeah yeah yeah. but you know he's not full like ted kaczynski um (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah basically he gets in the middle of the night people steal his pig uh and like kind of kick the shit out of him and then Mm -hmm. we kind of follow him in his journey trying to get his pig back and it's almost like chef fight club like it's (laughs) it's very much it's very much that like anthony bourdain kitchen confidential like underbelly of the culinary industry type stuff maybe a little exaggerated with like the literal fight club type thing that they have going on yeah but uh, i think it's like pacific northwest is where it takes place yeah um so yeah Uh, portland portland Portland. yeah yeah so we saw in theaters i I, I think in the back of my mind, I figured it wasn't going to be just like a balls out, crazy Nicolas Cage movie. Like he's sort of become the meme of now. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like there, there might've been a few people at the theater, like younger people that went to see it. And Probably. I think they were going into it, maybe anticipating it being that. And luckily they weren't like laughing at parts that they weren't supposed to laugh at. Like, mm-hmm. be like, huh, uh, cause like, they just know Nicolas Cage as, like, being insane or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a very quiet movie-going experience. I think a few of the standout scenes, the, the one that stood out to me the most was when he is at that restaurant with, like, the other chef that he like, <laughs> yeah, that used to like work for scene. him. And he just, just brutally and very quietly, like, just undresses him and just like is like you you don't make this food because you like it like and it's like basically calling mm-hmm. him fake fake and gay and like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but like you you watch this other chef try to maintain that like customer service smile and be like what do you what do you mean what do you, i don't i don't i i love yeah. doing this i love this and it's just like you can kind of start i think his eyes kind of start welling up and like he's like kind of choking yeah. up a little bit uh-huh. But uh yeah. I've talked a lot. <laughs> no, I I mean I I had I had two there so um yeah, I uh I I think that one was my favorite scene what was I going to say? Oh. So I uh <clears throat> I think between you and Andy and then I don't know, maybe just what I'd surmised from like the after it coming out like me going into it knew I I knew it was it was subdued like Mm -hmm. i i think maybe at first i heard oh it's a revenge thing but then like you know heard got a a better picture of it but what so what surprised me uh more so was that it was funny like i'm not saying like in the you know nicholas cage lol 
so crazy type stuff but like there was like jokes there was humor in it and yeah i just from what i'd heard from it i thought it was just going to be a dour just like downer movie the whole time um but uh i th- i think like that like for instance that um that restaurant scene um uh I think it was my favorite scene in the movie for, like, you know, the message that it was saying, like, how he was, like, dressing the dude down. But also, at the same time, it was it was funny, too. Mm, like, the, the whole the situation. And then, like, I don't know, another one that comes to mind is when he, like, the first person that they go to to be, like, uh, it's, like, another, she's, like, a dealer in the woods, I think. Mm. And they're, like, hey did these people like, or I don't know. I, I, I don't exactly remember how they find out, but they find out who, who took the pig from him like right away. Yeah. It's like the two like junkies who live in the trailer and they find out through this lady. And like, as soon as they tell her, she's like, are you fucking kidding me? And then like this music starts playing and then she's like marching and like, like that whole situation was kind of funny too. Um, it's not a comedy, but I just, there was right. a lot more like lighter moments than I was um, expecting going into it. Yeah, and I, I think like if it was, it was all dour, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought it was gonna be one of those where like I was gonna finish it and be like, whoa, I'm not. I don't know when I can watch that again. But like, I watched it and I was like, all right, yeah, okay, I could do that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I liked how it was like a. It was almost like a a buddy movie too between those two. I that was another thing I wasn't. I didn't know. I knew Alex Wolf was in it. I kind of knew his role, but I didn't know he was like basically going to be in it pretty much as much as Nicolas Cage. I feel like it juggled all of those storylines very well and introduced them very well. Like Mm -hmm. you get, you get the main storyline of him trying to get his pig back, but then you get, Oh, he used to be in like the culinary world and Mm -hmm. has a reputation and like all, all, all that entails. He has connections still, even though he's like been this nomadic guy in the woods. And then you get the storyline with yeah. uh, the Alex Wolf character and his dad, which mm-hmm. it, it ends up being his dad is like the one that wants one he, of the pig. He's the one that that uh, yeah, he basically hired the people to to rob him. And yeah. I don't know if his intent was he might have just wanted to stop Nicolas Cage from like I think his intent wasn't more like I'm going to use this pig and then I'm going to know where because like you could have like the best truffle hunting pig in the world but if you don't know the spots to look it's it's useless right so there's kind of a line that you know because like spoilers there's a point where Nicolas Cage just finds out that like they just killed the pig yeah and he and he's like he's like it was he's like it wasn't even about finding truffles like he he was like i was better at finding truffles than the pig was it was like it was like his companion yeah yeah which i had i had assumed the whole time i wasn't when that line came about i was that was one part i was confused on i was like was i supposed to think he like he wanted it because of like the the entire time i didn't think that he wanted it because uh for money or for anything like that i was like yeah no of course it's his it's his pet and man, I like it was made like jokes about how like Garth is like a pig or or anything, but like that that pig reminded me so much of him. It was like orange and fluffy and mm-hmm. <laughs> same like body type. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a cute pig. Yeah, um, it was. 
Uh, but yeah, I think I think it was also more for for Adam Arkin's character, the the dad mm-hmm. um, of Alex Wolf. I think more than anything, it was to stop his son from essentially challenging his his throne or whatever. Yeah, and it's just you know Nicolas Cage and the pig were just like bystanders or like, like they the were middle like middleman almost. Yeah. yeah. So they had to be dealt with, I guess. Right. And like it I know it's not like super clever in retrospect, but it it still got me when we were watching the movie. But the fact mm-hmm. that like they and again, you, you almost expect it to be this violent bloody ending where he goes and confronts the dad and then mm-hmm. oh, you killed my pig and then you think he's going to like I think there's even like a scene where like he pulls a knife out of the knife block and you you're like is this about to get like yes almost yeah. like you know like once upon a time in hollywood or one of those movies where it's just like slow burn slow burn slow burn burst of violence and mm-hmm. instead he <laughs> cuts him emotionally and he he makes what was it like it wasn't the last meal that him and his wife had but it was like the oh. first meal yeah it, yeah it may or maybe the last meal that he cooked for him or i don't remember yeah it was some significant meal yeah because like i think guys. the the wife is like in the hospital she's not dead i think she's just like terminally ill in the hospital and yeah yeah so yeah Nicholas she's cages yeah i th- i think i think because the son said that she killed herself i i'm guessing it was a suicide attempt and, and she's like in a coma or yeah something like that yeah yeah, and in so, a vegetative state mm-hmm. of some sort. So Nicolas Cage's character makes I think it was I think it was their first dinner, like their one of their first dates. Yeah. But he like he cooks it exactly the way that it was cooked, serves like it's like the same bottle of wine and it's like this like 75-year-old wine or or, or whatever. And like it was it was one of those things where it was like I realized it at the same time that the character realized it. I don't know. It was it was very effective for me when like the dad like takes a bite and then he just kind of stops, and then he kind of has yeah. a little breakdown. And I'm like, oh shit, he made yeah. them the meal that they had. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it, it was a good payoff for me at least. I didn't see it yeah. coming. Yeah, I uh, the, and I th- I think I mentioned this when we talked about Green Room too. Where although I like Green Room more, I guess, but um, that like. Hey, I didn't even mean to do this, but we were talking about like <laughs> referencing uh, an episode that isn't going to see the light of day. But I guess for for context, I gave it an eight. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have. Uh, I don't even know if I said this on the episode, so this would still need context, I guess, regardless of if that had went up or not. But um, I think I said like I didn't really have anything negative to say about it when when it came time to to do our reviews to do our wrap-ups but it was like but it's not any higher than an eight and that's kind of how i feel about pig too it's like i i don't know i didn't have any major issues i guess like if i did or it, it was maybe a little I don't know how to put it. Maybe, maybe it was because like it was, I don't even want to call it predictable because like, I feel like that gives off the air more like, like a, that's like a negative aspect, but like, I guess I could see more where it was going and maybe that kind of hurt it a little bit, but 
other than that, I don't have any major negatives, but it feels like a seven to me. You know? Yeah. I just, I just know I wasn't like over the moon about it or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's a very simple story. It, it doesn't, it, it has no like pretension of like, no, yeah. Being more than what it is. I really liked all the like that I didn't I didn't know at all. I mean, I knew it was a truffle hunting pig, but I didn't know at all it was going to be so like cooking oriented. Yeah. Like like the whole the the climax, I guess if you will. Well, no, I guess the climax would be the dinner, but like the whole like build up to that is them like making food. It's it's like a, it's like a an episode. It's like an opening to Hannibal or something like that. Yeah, like one of the yeah. episodes of Hannibal. Very like artistically done shots and like pretty like I don't know. Just the way it was like framed and shot mm-hmm. the the cooking mm-hmm. scene reminded me a lot of of Hannibal, um, the TV show. Yeah, uh, like he's grabbing. He's it's just like he's in a dark room grabbing a loaf of bread. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he's gonna make baguettes. Yeah, <laughs> and just like the way that they like laid, I think it was like quail or something is the, yes. is the word that they use. The way that they like laid it down on the plate, all like soft and carefully uh-huh. and stuff like that. I think maybe that's why it did resonate with me was because I like. That I was stuff. wondering. Was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I know the, I know all, of, I know these things. Yeah, that's an industry that I know fairly well. Yeah, and I think I think what elevated it the most for me. And maybe I'm a sucker for it, but the the thing that I think really was like the the twist of the knife was the Bruce Springsteen cover at the very end of the movie. Oh yeah, that's right. I had to look that up. I, I knew this song, but I could not for the life of me remember who that who sang the original one. Yeah, it's "I'm on Fire." Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like that's that's I don't know a ton of Bruce Springsteen's like I don't know a lot about his music. I know mm-hmm. I know basically like the top 40 hits the big stuff dancing in the dark or dan whatever that song is but i knew that one uh because because john mayer covered it uh Uh. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so again spoilers for the ending of pig he ends up just after he emotionally destroys a man by feeding him (laughs) he he goes back to his little cabin and uh it's kind of it's kind of alluded to at the very beginning that like his wife died mm-hmm. or is just is not around anymore and it kind of started out with him like putting in a cassette and you can hear her talking and then it gets to a certain spot and then he stops it and then like mm-hmm. I think the events of the movie take place so he finally goes back to the cabin uh, he puts the cassette in and it's I don't know if it was like a birthday thing I think she's like happy birthday whatever whatever and then yeah that might be it it's like this like acoustic cover of i'm on fire by bruce springsteen and then the credits roll and it was just like oh why'd you have to do that to me (laughs) it's just because it's it's a very somber ending it's a very somber cover of that song that kind of is just like a little dark and sad anyway so for for me that was just like yeah that was the twist of the knife that i was like okay Mm. this is like a great movie for me yeah i even like like all three of those main dudes too like I always like Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. I like everything I've seen in Alex Wolfen. I like him. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, which is only a few things, to be fair. Uh, and then uh, Adam Arkin, too. The guy who plays the dad. Yeah, so. I think I looked him up, but I, I don't... I'm not entirely sure where else I might have seen him in. He's just one of those guys. He's in uh, Northern Exposure, if you ever watch that. Uh, 
I I've always heard reference to that show. Is that a movie or a show? It's it's a show. Um, I've only seen like the first season or two, but that's like one of Kalia's favorite shows. Is that? It is it is really good. I do want to keep watching that show, but like it's we, I don't even remember how we watched the first season, but yeah, is that? What I don't oh, yeah, know why justified. I associate that with like Twin Peaks. I guess it was around the same time. You know, the same time, and it's kind of like same uh uh climate same kind of it's not it's it's more of like a comedy i guess or like a dramedy but it's you know pine trees and uh mountains waterfall you know like that kind of like alpine look to it yeah yeah yeah. maybe and yeah like right around the same time um yeah yeah yeah, much like lighter Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm show um with a great soundtrack too okay that was one of the things that i remember the most from it how many seasons um, did that show go for a few um okay. i want to say like seven or eight. Oh shit all but, right but yeah we only watched the i've only seen the first oh six it went six 110 episodes okay um, speaking of no transition um <laughs> i was gonna say we could either transition with an animal movie which i've got one or okay. we could do the Alex Wolf transition into old. Ooh. I guess let's do old since you said since you said it. I'm I'm wondering what the animal movie is, but let's do old first. Okay. Did you see old? I haven't, but Okay. Go ahead. Maybe we maybe when we put this on Twitch or YouTube. Well it's just, well, I guess it's already on Twitch. When we because <laughs> like when we put this on YouTube, maybe like when you're editing it, you can put the movie picture like in the corner or whatever. Oh yeah, could do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so old is I don't know how I feel about it. Okay. It's an M Night Shyamalan movie, and I think it's it's a movie of good moments an interesting idea it's based off a graphic novel it is not mm-hmm. written by m night Shyamalan. so i think whatever strengths the movie have come from that story and that interesting mm-hmm. idea and then everything else after that is like it, it, it makes you remember that m night Shyamalan is an alien and doesn't know how people interact <laughs> and talk to each other <laughs> um Sweet. But uh, yeah, so basically, it's like this family wins. Uh, they they win a a trip to this vacation destination, and it's like uh, 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 it's Gael Garcia Bernal. I don't mm-hmm. know what else he's been in, but it, uh, I do because I love that guy. <laughs> um, he's in uh, Itu Mama Tambien. Is oh, is probably okay. his big like breakout. Uh, he was in that uh, Disney movie Coco. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, what dot the eye? That was a movie I used to love. Um, okay, yeah, I I love that guy. Oh, he's and in then, that Amazon show, uh, Mozart in the Jungle too. That's another okay. big one. And then uh, Vicky Kripes. I don't know that one. I don't. She know is uh, the girlfriend of Reynolds Woodcock in Phantom Thread. Oh, okay. That's Daniel Day Lewis's character. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, she's the 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 mushroom stamper. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like this this family. It's like these two parents and their two kids. They are they want a, a all expenses paid trip to this island. 
Um, and then at some point in time, while they're there, like they kind of go off the itinerary, and like the the host of the thing is just like, "Hey, I have this special deal just for you and your family. Like, it's this private beach that you guys can go to for the day. No interruptions. No nothing. Like, you can all just go there." And then, do you care if I just like spoil the whole movie for you, or do you, I okay. don't care? <laughs> I guess okay. maybe maybe uh, in the also in the description we can be like spoilers for maybe all movies. for these movies yeah yeah. For these, yeah well i mean and then and then it's basically like the whole it's like the this family and then other people uh the dude who plays miles from lost is in this miles ken, oh yeah yeah ken lung ken Ch- yeah Ling. i almost said jong but that's <laughs> that's different um yeah no i know who you're talking about yeah yeah uh also i think the girl from Oh Jesus! I think she's from uh, uh, Jojo Rabbit, and then Last Night in Soho. Thomas and Mackenzie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah if in it's it. from the, that too, yeah, Thomas and yep. Mackenzie. And then of course Alex Wolf. Well, th- those right. characters don't start out at that age, so like they all get to the island, this right. little beach, yeah, and then everyone starts like it's <laughs> it's kind of funny because there's like a woman who's like their grandmother, and she just gets got very fast. <laughs> <laughs> Because the whole That's oh, and it's like really sad because there's like <laughs> there's a dog which like dogs live less longer than like old people, so it's like the dog just goes after like uh, ten minutes. It's just like why uh, the dog, and then the old the old lady she just like kind of fades away. But basically, the premise is they go to this beach and whatever sort of electromagnetic whatever bullshit special properties of this beach causes sure. everyone to rapidly age very fast mm-hmm. and then like the the family can't escape because if they try to escape for some reason like they just like pass out like they as soon as they try to go through the caves back up to the island like where they came from okay they just like get dizzy and then like wake up back on the beach again so, like they just can't escape um there there's a another character that has the greatest rapper name that i've ever heard of I've heard of this guy. It's like it's like pickup truck forty two or something like it's, that. It's mid sized sedan. <laughs> okay, that's it. Yeah, and he's just such a weird guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like all God of the damn. kids, the kids have like different actresses. Like Alex right, Wolf yeah. is Trent, aged fifteen. Like, and oh, then okay. Thomas and Mackenzie, she's like Maddox, aged sixteen, because they start out as little kids and then. Like, I don't know, they're just like, why did, they're like, why is my child, like, taller than me now? Yeah, yeah. Um, But then there's, like, this guy who's, like, a doctor. And so, basically, long story short, everyone who was on the beach was pre-selected by this, like, shady organization. And what they're trying to do is find cures for different diseases, and I, I think, okay. like, when, when the family shows up, they give them, like, a platter of, like, drinks and food. And I think they're, like, basically giving them, like, medicines that they've been working on. Because it's, like, Vicky Kreps, the mom, has, like, a tumor in her stomach. The The doctor on the island is, like, has early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, Miles from Lost's oh, okay. wife has, like, seizures. And so, because of the way that the the beach works, it advances those disorders and diseases faster. 
And so basically they're all just like unwitting guinea pigs as like oh, this okay. island basically like enhances all of the, like the, the doctor just Yikes. like, there, and there's like a really just brutal scene where like the mom's stomach has like a, the tumor starts growing faster because oh. she's on an island that makes her older and they have to yeah. do like emergency surgery and they try to like, they cut the incision and it heals up immediately Oh, and so they cut the incision yikes. and like the dad has to like hold it open so he can cut out the tumor oh. and it's just like and it's like the, the way I'm describing the movie it doesn't sound terrible it, and I I don't know I don't think it well, there was like one incredibly funny moment where like they're off dealing with something else and Alex Wolf and like another girl on the island they're like teenagers now they're like uh-huh. laying in the, laying in a tent while everyone else is preoccupied, and like they're like you know just kind of like flirty and like they have a crush on each other, and <laughs> so they have they have sex on the island. It doesn't really show it, and okay. then because the island moves fast, the girl is instantly pregnant, and it's just like it's such That's a good reveal. Where, like, the family is walking back towards the beach. Uh, they're like, oh, Trent, what's going on, Trent? And then the little girl just walks out, and she has, like, a huge belly. And they're like, what? And then, <laughs> oh, man. And then she gives... It's, it's so brutal. She gives birth to the baby. The baby cries twice and then dies instantly. Because, because of the rapid aging, the baby doesn't have time to, like, get enough nutrients. And it just, like, basically crumples into <sighs> dust in their hands. Oh, it's Jesus. like it's it's pretty Wait, brutal. How does that not like translate to the people then? Like, wouldn't they have to be eating constantly or like? Or so the 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 hotel gave them like oh, a picnic that's the... box full of food because right, like the, okay. the kids are constantly like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and it's because gotcha. they're uh, yeah. I feel like and, with how fast, how long does it? does it take place over is it like just hours or is it like a few days or i think it's i think it's like a couple days couple days yeah they find like, like you'd literally they find have a... to be eating like yeah constantly yeah <laughs> and she's hitting constantly do they do that <laughs> they too? don't they don't show that <laughs> Just as, as soon as they eat anything, they just what? Yeah, they just shit it out. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. Um, but 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 yeah, they they find like a diary from like a previous. They're not the first excursion either. They're not the right, first group of yeah. people. So they find a diary okay. that kind of like like names of people, their addresses, and like what happened to them, etc. And then, yeah, eventually, the the two children at the beginning of the movie are, like, in their 40s by the time the movie's done. And they okay. figure out um, that there's, like, a section of, like, this coral reef that has some sort of electromagnetic property to it. And they basically find out that if they go in the water and swim through that, mm-hmm. they can escape the beach and not be, have yeah. that. Because, like... Uh, I keep calling him Miles from Lost because that's that's who he is to me. He's yeah. like, oh, I swam in high school. I can try to swim around the island and see if I can, like, you know, get a, get out of this zone and go get help. 
And then five minutes later, his body just washes up on the beach. He's dead. <laughs> like, oh, okay. They kill character. Char- there's one. There's one character death that's. Uh, it's so brutal. I forget how brutal this movie is, because like the the pregnant girl has a mom, and she's mm-hmm. like this. Uh, I would say like Karen. That's her kind of archetype role. Okay. Like bleach blonde, like super skinny Paris Hilton, like. Honey, don't hunch over. You're gonna get a. You're gonna be a hunchback. Like stand up straight. Like one of those types of ladies, uh-huh. and like she ages fast, and like she gets, in she gets uglier. Like she just gets old. And there's, okay. <laughs> there's like a scene where, um, the the two children are like are like in the caves, and like she's like, don't look at me, don't look <laughs> at me, and and she's just like she's like a monster. And eventually, like, the kids are cornered, and she, this this woman trips, and, like, because she's so frail and old, she, like, breaks bones in her arms, but because of the beach, her bones heal in place incredibly fast, and so eventually, she keeps falling and tripping and falling and breaking her arms and legs, and they keep healing until she's just, like, a, a ball <laughs> oh of just, God. like... Like just compound fractures. Damn. Yeah, that <laughs> I, sounds like a Junji Ito type. Yeah, it kind horror. of is. This this could definitely be a Junji Ito short story. It like does kind 100%. of sound like it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would I would watch it. Uh I, I think you might like it. I think some of the I think the performances on an individual scale are pretty good. I think it's just that M, M. Night Shyamalan dialogue that's like Oh yeah. He's also yeah. in it a lot. Oh yeah, that I mean, in an ironic way, but I like that because <laughs> like I feel like he usually just does a cameo. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, sometimes he's played like more significant roles in oh, some, okay. some of them before. But yeah, he's the guy that drives them in the van to the beach. Oh okay, and then he like they they kind of see him up at the top because it's like this this like this beach and there's like surrounding walls mm-hmm. and like they see like light like a like a metal reflection and it's it's M Night Shyamalan up there like watching them and taking notes. Okay. Huh. But yeah, there's yeah. some pretty brutal character deaths, some pretty interesting character deaths that again, I'm pretty sure rely heavily on the comic book source material and not from M Night Shyamalan's mind. Yeah. There's like and who knows if this was his in if this was his uh like changing of the story or if this was in that originally, but like I it to me, it's like, yeah, a lot of that kind of like what you said, like individual moments sound neat or like, again, the concept is cool, but it's like when you were describing, um, and I'm sure if you went into more like the dialogue or if like I like looked at more like the, the lines from it or whatever, I'd feel the same about that too. But like when you were getting into like why they're like experimenting, like trying to secure, that was where I was like, Hmm, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> that's kind of M Night Shyamalan-y. Yeah, um, like like it's almost it's not really a post credit scene, but like after like the two kids escape, it cuts to like a laboratory, and they're like the the one woman who was having seizures. They're like, uh, like she was aging so rapidly that her seizures only she only had seizures after like. 15 minutes, which is 12 years. That's the longest anyone has ever gone without having a seizure on the island. And so like they have this like temporary cure that can like 
fix people from having seizures, like extend their life. So it's almost mm-hmm. like this sort of morally amb- amb- ambigu- ambiguous, like the, they're basically putting people on this island against their will and they're like all dying. Mm-hmm. But it's like, do the ends justify the means where like maybe they'll solve cancer because of this right, rapidly yeah. aging island or uh, yeah. So it's like kind of one of those deals. Yeah, I'm sure I'll check it out eventually at some point. Just if anything, watch it for like anything. those deaths. They're so yeah. brutal. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I would give it. I'll give it a, a very light. Either either like a five or a very light six. Okay. Is where I'm sitting with that one. All right. And this is actually one that I kept trying. I kept wanting to do during our Halloween month, but I kept putting off because I wanted Dagan to be on. But then, like, he kept, like, something, I don't know, he just ended up, like, not being on any of those. And I guess since it happened again, I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Um, It's kind of funny because it's not even, like, like, an amazing series, really, but I had a lot of fun watching it. And that's uh, the Fear Street trilogy based on a R.L. Stein book series oh, okay. a la goosebumps um so the fear street book series is uh it's a lot like goosebumps it's a bunch of like disparate spooky tales but the the movie trilogy is 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 one story pretty much and i think they all came out like a month apart earlier this year so they're all 2021 all three of these movies okay um so it's almost in that sense more like a mini series if you think about it, but at the same time they do kind of feel like distinct um, stories. Uh, and yeah, I think I want to say I gave them all respectively. Like I think I gave the first one a six, the second one a six, and then the third one maybe a seven. Um, but that said, like I could easily see like watching these again next October. I think they were really fun. Um, it it felt like I was watching Goosebumps or something, like yeah. in all the good ways, without being without being too like, hey, remember the nineties? Uh, yeah, because I guess for to give a broad scope of the story, because it is kind of hard if you get into the it's it's like com- complex but not. But basically, like the first movie is. Uh, Fear Street, 1994. The second one is uh, 1978. And then the third one is 1666. Um, So basically the first one in 1994, uh, it kind of sets up the story, the whole, the uh, the conflict. And then 1994 kind of works as a frame story for the next two movies. Mm. Um. So the next two like begin and end in 1994, um, and it's it's like again it's a pretty basic thing like there's this uh, a pretty basic I guess like goosebumpsy are you afraid of the dark type thing where like there's a town and there's like this old witch that like put a curse on the town and uh, but what what happens in this is that. Um, it, it's interesting because it's very, like, cartoonish in in this sense, too. But also, it feels very, like, natural. Um, but, like, there's... So, there's this town... I remember... The, there's one town, I think, called, like, Sunnyside or Sunnyvale. 
Mm. then the town that Fear Street takes place in, I can't remember the name of, but basically there are these sister towns that they're like right next to each other. But Sunnyvale, that wasn't the village that was like part of the curse is like very prosperous, very affluent. Like everybody's, you know, sunny. And then the place where the curse is, it's very like grimy and grunt and like, that's and that's where like most of the story it's takes like place. Parks and Rec, yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and basically, the curse of the that that like the Wished it is like every so often. I don't know if it's like every ten years or every twenty years or if it's just kind of like random. Uh, it's basically like this town has produced like an a, a, like a massive n- amount of serial killers. Um, okay, so like they go back and like they all kind of have their own they don't go into like every single one but ever basically ever since 1666 essentially there's been just a slew of serial killers every generation or so that comes out of this town um and uh a lot you know but the witch's curse is kind of deemed as like an old wives tale like a little story that kids tell each other but then of course oh no it's actually it's actually real and um so yeah and then you get to 1978 part two and the basically what happens is the end of the first movie is the surviving kids in that one go to this girl's house who's a gillian jacobs Um, a lot of kid deaths in this movie there's a few yeah i mean it's, it's primarily children there's probably a few adult deaths, but yeah, there's some pretty fucking brutal kills in this series too. <laughs> so that makes you think like, of the blob where like the kid just like gets sucked into the water. And oh, it's just like, yeah, that kid's not sure, coming like, back. <laughs> there's a, like, there's one where they're at like a, a supermarket and it's like one of those meat shredders that you see there to make like, like roast beef or whatever. And somebody gets their head shoved through that. <laughs> like it shows it. Yeah. Shit. It's pretty brutal. Nice. Um, so anyways, the end of the first one is they go to Gillian Jacobs' house, and she is the sole survivor of the previous serial killer, uh, which happened in 1978. So then part two is her story, basically. Oh. Um, and then you kind of learn more about the witch and the curse th- through her story. And then the third part, 1666, um, is... It's kind of split up into two parts. Um, it's like the first hour is 1666, which is basically the origin of the curse and everything. And then the last hour is back in 1994, and it's kind of resolving the story. And okay. um, that one was definitely my favorite. Uh, I thought it did a really good job of wrapping everything up, and everything kind of comes full circle. It, it does a very good job of, like, it's, you know, basic setup and payoff, which, again, it's... It's what I mean. Like, it's very basic storytelling or it's, it's like it, I don't want to say it's like basic. Cause like, I guess, I guess kind of the story isn't basic. It is a really interesting way to tell a story, like mm-hmm. going back in time, each movie and like each one informing more about the story. Kind of sounds um, like Fargo, like the TV series Fargo. Sort of. Yeah, actually. Cause the, yeah, that does the same thing. That one like jumps around a lot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess I just mean like it's 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 funny because it's it's it just does a lot of the things that you know everything should do, right? Like, you know, stories should be competent and they should have setups <laughs> yeah. and payoff and it's yeah. just it's funny because that's pretty much what it does and it does it well. It doesn't do anything super exceptional, but right. it's serviceable, it's entertaining, 
and it, it I think it does what a what a horror movie should do. It, so I think they're they're fun is is like the keyword for all three of these movies. Yeah, I mean um, the way you're describing it, it definitely sounds like something. I I I kind of want to just go watch it now. It sounds like the the concept sounds interesting. Yeah, I I I think I think if anything, yeah, you'll you'll have fun watching it. Oh, the one note though is I think the lead actress and I'll say the lead, she's like the main character, but again, the second and third movies tell different stories or whatever. Um but she still is present, I guess. I think she's really bad. <laughs> I think the lead actress is not great. <laughs> is it like a kid? Yeah, she's probably like 18, 19, something like that. Kiana Madeira? Yeah, that's it. Oh, is Dina Johnson? Yeah. Oh, um, oh no. I think pretty, pretty much everyone else, though, is pretty good. Like, she was the okay. only one I really had any complaints about. <laughs> she's no Saxon Charbino. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, that's the thing is she is exactly a section sharp. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um Oh man. And then oh yeah, the second one, the lead character is uh she's in the redhead from Stranger Things. She's solid. Oh yeah. Um I actually really I remember really liking probably my favorite part about that second movie was like her and her sister. They were they were pretty good together. Um but yeah, so that's that, the Fear Street trilogy. Nice. Yeah, I definitely, that looks interesting. And like, I haven't read R.L. Stein in probably like 20 years. Me either. But I, I used to read a lot of it, or at least mm-hmm. I, I think I read a lot of like the classic ones. Like Night of the Living Dummy, like that mm-hmm. was like my mm-hmm. shit. It terrified me, but like yeah. I thought the idea was so cool. The one, The one that got me, and I'm it's killing me that I can't think of the name of it, but it's the mask, the scary. I think the, I know what you're talking the, about. The covers, like the green mask with the really scary yes. face and the girls yes. putting it on. Yep. And um, I just like that concept of like putting that on. It wasn't even the fact that like, I mean, it was probably partly that too, but that there was like the demonic thing, like possessing her or whatever. But just right. like the fact that like putting like the mask on and not being able to remove it. Like that yeah. kind of like constricting sort of like mm-hmm. a, a what's the tight spaces? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, claustrophobic. Phobic, claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah, very claustrophobic feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. That one gave me. But yeah, I read the shit out of Goosebumps. Um, it's like I don't, I don't like remember him super well because again, it was a super long time ago. But yeah, I remember. I think I remember checking off in the library all the time. There was like that was like the golden age of like horror media for children, like yeah. Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Those just scary like stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. I real I like I honestly can't think of like like as far as like children centric. I can't think of anything more like like terrifying than those illustrations and yeah for scary real stories to tell in the dark like holy oh, shit i still can see like the cover in my mind isn't it like a clown on the cover or something like that uh one of them it's like the it's like the profile view of the clown and he has like a yeah. he has like a pipe in his mouth or something like that yeah that's what it is ew i'm looking up the images now yep yeah, oh jesus or the oh i don't know what story it is but the like with like You're talking long... about the lady, the yeah, yeah. Did you ever see the movie? 
No, but I'm looking. I, I've seen the pictures of the lady before. It was decent. It That's kind of heard. in this kind of in the same vein as as Fear Street, where like I would say more so with Fear Street. Like I think Fear Street really hits like. And that's probably why I'm so, like, positive about it, uh, in addition to the other things that, like, it just, it, again, being so long since I had read it, Goosebumps, I still, like, as I was watching it, I was like, this feels like I'm, like, reading an R.L. Stein book. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the scary stories to tell in the dark movie is a little different because it, it has to, because, I mean, those books are, like, they're not it's not a continuous story they're all just like you know little one-off stories mm-hmm. each thing and you know each like book an has like 20 different, yeah like an anthology thing and the movie tries to like kind of condense it into a coherent storyline and it does mm-hmm. a decent job um and uh yeah i think the uh the it's it, it's it's like a i don't know like a give and take like i feel like the creature effects are pretty much as good as you're going to get. But mm-hmm. that being said, they're not as effective as they are in the book. But that's because like I just I don't think you can recreate. I think it's impossible it's, to recreate. It's a different the medium same. and it's yeah. 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 So but, but still saying like that that lady or that that girl, I forget like what if she has like a character name or whatever. It's like she's very creepy in the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm looking at the pictures and they're not great. Yeah, <laughs> Ugh, not liking it. It almost makes me think of because uh, she's like in the in like this red hallway. It looks like a hospital hallway or something like that. Yeah, for some reason it makes me like think of uh, when you told me about Gerald's game and like the the fact that like the tall man from Twin Peaks is like her sleep paralysis demon. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And you like, like just ugh. Yeah, that movie's really good at that shit. Like it um like I remember like the first couple times you see him in that movie, like I think the first shot he's actually in I didn't even see him. But Kalia was really? like oh, f-. but Kalia was like, "Oh fuck." Or like she like reacted and I was like, "What?" She's like, "Did you not see that?" I was like, "No." And like so I rewinded it and he's like he's so like you can barely see him and that's like what makes it so fucking creepy <laughs> oh Ugh. did you did you ever see have we talked about unedited footage of a bear that does not sound familiar so no it was one of those adult swim shorts that they aired at like three o'clock in the morning kind of like too many cooks okay yeah but it was like it starts out it's just like it's literally just footage of a bear and then it cuts to an ad like youtube style but the ad is the video kind of one of those things yeah yeah. and it starts out as like this sort of like generic medicine that's like now that i've got they don't say claritin but it's like now that i've got claritin i'm taking control of my life and it's like this Mm -hmm. woman and her two kids but eventually like be the side effects of the drug and that's like a recurring bit is at the bottom it'll say like side effects of the drug but eventually it's just like paragraphs of like <laughs> if you're if you're getting this symptom blah 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 if you're feeling these symptoms and it's like it's just like insane you have to pause it to read it 
but eventually it's like it's like kind of like a clone story where like she runs into another version of herself <laughs> okay. and they fight and it's like it's just it's crazy um but but there's a scene and maybe after the stream i, I kind of want if you haven't seen it i kind of want to watch it with you now just to see okay. how you react to it but there's a scene where in the middle of the ad she's like standing like posing and it's like talking about the side effects and if you look in the background it's like kind of in a cul-de-sac you can see her way off in the distance <laughs> standing in the street and it's like blinking you miss it but oh. i paused it and it's like is clearly her wearing the same outfit like her clone is way off in the distance but you can see it is oh, is terrifying <laughs> Shit. um yeah, I want to watch Gerald's game now, too. God damn, why do I want to watch all these terrifying movies before I go to bed? <laughs> um, are you good with Fear Street? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I just got a couple more. Well, I guess I could have three, but I don't know how much long how long you want to go. Uh, we'll see. Um, let's uh, see. I've got I've got like two or three more, but yeah, I can we, we can I, I can be brief. The, these last. At least two of these three, I don't have as much to say about, so mm-hmm. I, I can go through them quickly. But the other segue I said earlier for an animal, another animal movie, oh, yeah. was Lamb. Did you see Lamb? No, I I do want to though. Okay, I won't I won't spoil that one for you. Okay, but um, it was another one of those movies that I think the trailer kind of misleads you. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe not as as much. But it's 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 a, again it's a very somber, quiet movie mm-hmm. um, about this husband and wife that kind of have this idyllic life in a farm in like God, I don't know where it's at. It's it is it's, not an English. It's like it's. I know I know the lead actress Numira Pace is Swedish, but I don't think it's Sweden. Yes, it not is Sweden? Sweden. I don't know. Oh, okay. It okay. it could be. It's it's in the mountains in this it's beautiful. The location mm-hmm. is like gorgeous. But yeah, it takes place at this farm. It's this couple that I think it's sort of implied that they've tried to have children before to no avail. And mm-hmm. then one day they go out into their farm and they find a lamb human hybrid child mm-hmm. that they sort of take as their own. And, like, the mother lamb kind of follows them around and is just, like, give me back my baby. And they're, like, trying to raise it as their own. And there's, like, some conflict there. And then it, yeah, it just, it goes some weird places. Yeah. And it kind of falls into that genre of, like, eight twenty four movies that are just, have a very simplistic story with a very simple soundtrack in a very slow moving thing and it's like i don't know it it's it 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 works i thought it was interesting i i kind of went into it thinking i was going to be like blown away because i was like oh Mm -hmm. cool this is something wacky and weird from a24 they're like a pretty good studio they put some really solid stuff out the last few years it's fine yeah it's very strange um you will not guess you will not guess what happens at the end of that movie if you try a million times. <laughs> I'll okay. say that. You will not guess what happens. It is so out of left field. Okay. <laughs> huh. 
Um, but yeah, it was fine. Yeah, that, that's that's what I've heard from most people. I just I remember the trailer just really grabbed me. But yeah, pretty much everybody I've seen is like, kind of like what you said. Like, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I feel like it had a lot of potential, or at least the way the trailer portrayed it, it looked like it had a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I'll do a six, six for that one as well. Okay. All right. Um. Okay. Uh. I don't know how to do these because um, one of them Spider Man, and like I don't even know if I really need to talk about that because like. <laughs> everybody's has so um that's what i'll save that one oh. for the end and then if we Sorry. still want to chloe just texted oh. me that it says oh, my nice. spider-man and it's andrew garfield oh <laughs> T- that's don't what be I- on your phone in the theater yeah calling the you out yeah, what the fuck <laughs> um it's probably no one else in the theater yeah maybe um <laughs> well fuck it i guess i guess with that lead in i'll just I'll just do it now. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's one of those like uh, like nostalgia baity movies for sure. And like, yeah, you know, everybody knows that the other Spider Man are gonna be. You know, you, everybody knows what they're doing, but it's still like, um, it's more of a an Infinity War payoff than a Rise of Skywalker. Or Infinity War, like, I don't know, I think of, like, fan service movies, and the big mm. ones are, like, those cappers to the MCU, the Infinity War and Endgame, and then you have, like, on the other side, Rise of Skywalker type stuff, which references because reference, but I think what Infinity War and Endgame and the new Spider-Man movie do well is they, like they don't just have these things in there because of references. They have them in there because it serves the story and because there's like an actual point to them. And also like, like fuck yeah. Like these are really great characters. Like Willem Dafoe is fucking great as the green goblin. Like he's, it's one of the best like movie, like comic book villains ever. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, especially that's, that's one of the things that people always like complain about the MCU is that they can't, uh, that like for the most part other than like thanos and loki they have a villain problem of all their villains being very generic and basic and that is not something that that sam raimi had in those ones because doc ock is a great fucking character and alfred melina does a really good job and willem dafoe is fucking awesome (laughs) as the king goblin and uh they do de-aging uh effects on all those guys they don't do it with uh toby and andrew they're like their current age which is interesting to see kind of like an older, you know, because Toby's got to be in his mid-40s now. Right. Um, so like an aged Spider-Man. Um, but they do it for, for the other guys. And it, it looks really good. Uh, like yeah. Willem Dafoe like, and Alpha Melina, especially. I would say especially Willem Dafoe probably looks old. He's, he's the most wrinkly at this point. But oh, I think yeah. they, they do really good. They, they all look really cool. Or really, really good. Really well done. Um and yeah, I it was funny because when I, the whole time leading up to it and everything, I've you know, it it was one of those open secrets where, you know, all the press and all the all the interviews are saying no, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire aren't in this movie. We swear, we promise. But everybody yeah. knew that they were. 
Um, and there's so much buildup to that point where, um, like you, you basically, you know, it's coming like five minutes ahead of time. Um, but I legit like cried when Toby came on <laughs> and it's, it was funny cause it wasn't right when he showed up. I like, cause he comes on screen and he was talking for like a couple minutes and then I started crying cause it just kind of hit me. I was like, uh, cause they'd done that before. And like, again, the star Wars movies, like they bring back, like, I guess a positive in a sense for rise of Skywalker is I love Ian McDiarmid as emperor Palpatine in mm-hmm. the original trilogy, in the prequels, and I even enjoy him in Rise of Skywalker, but I didn't have that reaction because yeah. that movie's just so like flat and empty and like it was fun to to it's fun watching him in those scenes, but there's nothing else outside of that. But I was mm-hmm. like I think I was just so happy because you don't actually see Toby or Andrew until maybe over halfway into the movie. It's at least like an hour into the movie okay. or probably a little bit more. Um, and I think it just kind of hit me that like, I was so grateful that this wasn't just a shit, you know, sandwich, yeah. you know, it was like a <laughs> solid movie and now I get to see them again. And like, it was just yeah. really cool. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that is like the nostalgia factor as well. Like, I mean, they came out like the original Spider-Man was like 2001 uh, it's 20 years ago now. Yeah, 2002, yeah, so like, I think. Yeah, I was like 10 or, or 11 two. years old when that Spider-Man came out. And like, yeah. I remember seeing it in theaters as a kid. So for me, I, I you know, for me, I, I'm a simple man. First gen Pokemon, uh, Tobey <laughs> Maguire, Spider-Man. Life is great. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's that's the Spider-Man that I know and love and like mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe and like that series. So it's like, yeah, I can only imagine like seeing him again, like done the done correctly where it's not just a soulless you know i clapped because i know spider-man you know one of those types of things yeah yeah there's like the there's actual and like what precedes them coming on is a pretty hefty emotional scene and that's actually like when they first confront tom holland peter um andrew and toby kind of are there as like to like support him kind of like mm-hmm. uh i don't even know like if they introduce themselves really because i think at this point tom holland spider-man like knows oh there's people from other universes coming in and i don't even know if they might say like hey we're cool or something like that but like it's kind of funny how they just kind of like show up and mm-hmm. um but i was really surprised because like i the the previous two tom holland spider-man movies like i've enjoyed but they're both like fine kind of you know um so the fact that it made me like care about like these like these emotional beats with like real weight to them and also in that same note um i like andrew garfield as an actor um i think he's a fine spider-man i think he's a terrible peter parker and I think his Spider-Man movies are by far the worst Spider-Man movies. <laughs> like, by far, I think they're pretty pretty terrible. Um, but this movie still made me care about his. Like, I mean, it makes you care about all of them. I yeah. was like, wow, this movie is making me care more about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man than his movies ever did. 
um, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. Uh, but yeah, of course, like seeing all three of those guys like work in like the scenes together um, was great. Like there's a scene where they're all like working in a lab together. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, of course, during like the big climactic fight, they have to like, sh- they kind of have like a, like a pep talk ahead of time where they're, it, it's basically the, their scene to riff on like, um, you know, their differences. Like it, it's, it's funny. Cause like it pokes fun at Andrew Garfield's like, I think knowing that his movies aren't as well liked as the other ones. Cause he, he's yeah. very, he's very like self-conscious in the movie. Um, yeah. He's like the middle child. I mean, he, yeah, he is. Yeah. And, and they call him, they're like, they do their numbers or whatever. He's like, like Tom Holland is Spider-Man one. And, uh, anyway, Andrew Garfield's like Spider-Man three or something like that. And he's like, why am I three? <laughs> um, oh, is that, is that like a reference to like Spider-Man three? Like the Tobey no, Maguire? Oh, okay. No, it's like, he's the third best Spider-Man. I yeah, think is okay. what it's, a, is what it's gotcha. a reference to. Um, and like there's you know there's like like Toby Maguire like puts a hand on his shoulder and he's like no you're amazing like because <laughs> he's the amazing Spider Man yes yes um, <laughs> so there's there's a lot of like that like you know Marvel yeah. humor but it it works in that and yeah. and uh it's it's because those all those the the characters very beloved like Spider Man is just such a good character I think mm-hmm. like no matter what iteration it's just the peter parker the you know fighting for good type character like he's just he's a very good character so it's it's fun seeing three of them you know with right. actors with all three actors that i enjoy despite how i feel about some of their individual movies yeah um yeah and yeah they play off each other really well um yeah i ended up giving it i settled on 8 um okay. i i could see that changing up or down on a on a repeat viewing, but um, you're yeah, riding that I high. That's pretty great. Yeah, but also I mean, it might stay there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Did they do? Did I feel like I've seen pictures of it? But did they do the meme thing, where it's like all the Spider Man's like? Some. No, they don't do that one. There was a couple. I was really bummed that they left out. They didn't do that, and there was no Bully Maguire. I was really hoping there would be some Bully Maguire references. Is Bully- is that like? The Spider-Man three where he's like yeah. all emo and shit. Yeah, that's Bully just McGuire. yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's just like the general term for like any oh that's like good. the emo hair and like the dancing to James he's Brown like, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh um, god. But there's like they they poke fun at like other things like because Sandman's like the villain in Spider-Man three. Well, one of the villains, and then Electro, are Sandman and Electro are talking and. They're like, how'd you, how'd you get like this? And he's like, oh, I f- fell into a particle accelerator and I got turned into sand. And then, and then Electro's like, I fe- fell in a vat of eels and got electrocuted. And they're both like, oh, okay. Like, they both, like, react to each other's stories. Like, that's really stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like, unbelievable. <laughs> um yeah okay i got like two more another another a24 movie that again the this is the third time i'm gonna say this another movie that had a very very misleading trailer 
the Green Knight. Oh, okay. Did okay. you see the Green Knight? Nope, it's another one that I want to. Uh, so yeah, it's based I love on. Death Patel. Yeah, Def Patel is very good in it. Uh, it's based on a poem by. Yeah, it's, it's an Arthurian tale. Yeah, and I think yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien has an adaptation of it. There's oh. like a bunch of different adaptations of this poem that tell this story <clears throat> about. Uh, he's I think he's wants to be a knight in Arthur's table, or he is one. I think he is. It's Sir Gawain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's, I think it's like Christmas day. They're like at the table feasting, doing what you do in those times. And like Mm -hmm. a literal, like giant hunkering, like green knight comes up and like asks if anyone wants to play his game. And like Gawain's the one that uh, stands up. And then basically he like challenges him to cut off his head, Mm -hmm. but he let, he just like kind of kneels and lets him do it. And so Gawain is just like, oh, well, this is a layup. It goes over and like picks up his axe and just cuts his head off. And then he picks up his head. The Green Knight picks up his head and says, okay, one year today, one year to the date, you have to return the favor or something like that. And so the movie takes place one year later and it's his quest to go and like basically like fulfill his destiny. And he kind of grapples with like, if he if he's like basically willing to die or what's going to happen to him mm-hmm. and he's kind of trying to come to terms with that and along the way he meets some wacky characters <laughs> um but yeah i thought overall it was it was pretty good uh it's david lowry mm-hmm. who did another thing that i think i liked a ghost story he did a ghost story i quite yeah. liked the ghost story yeah I ghost thought that story was a really pretty good well done movie yeah. Kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer. Yeah. The ghost story. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I thought a lot of the... It, it, I think what I was talking about with like the trailer was that I think it wanted to evoke the classic like Lord of the Rings. Like, this is going to be like a Lord of the Rings movie. Mm-hmm. And it is not. It is yeah. very much not like that. It's more like psychedelic trippy... Mm-hmm. kind of like that's what i've heard yeah there's like a talking fox eventually mm-hmm. like kind of like his guidance it has that one kid in it and have you seen the killing of a sacred deer yeah uh barry killen or i don't know if that's how you say his last Can name but i'm guessing that's who you're talking about is it the uh, main is it the main kid yes barry killen something yes yeah, so this kid is in the Green Knight. I think I think this kid is this kid has a face for being typecasted as a scumbag, because it seems to me that those are like the only types of. Rock. Oh, he's in Dunkirk. I don't know who he is in Dunkirk, yeah. but uh, he's just one one of the soldiers. Okay, he's a superhero in Eternals. Yeah, I haven't he, seen that okay. one, but I knew that. Oh yeah, he's he, in he, Chernobyl's or Chernobyl's Chernobyl. He's not oh. a scumbag in that. Oh, okay. He's just got... It's just funny seeing, like, all the faces on the Eternals, and then there's him. And, like, <laughs> they try to give him, like, that heroic jawline and haircut, but it's just like, nah, dude, you got that face. You yeah. can't do anything about that face. But uh, he's he's pretty he's pretty good in it. Um, Joel Edgerton is in it. 
mm-hmm. who is in another movie that I haven't seen that really want that I really want to, which is It Comes at Night. I have a feeling that was one you were gonna say. I yeah. think that's another that's A24 pretty good. movie. I yeah, st- I think so. Yeah, another one that uh, I was. I guess I was gonna mention this anyway, but that one is a really good example of this too. That A twenty four is just they they're kind of notorious for being really shitty at marketing their movies properly because it comes at night as another example of like people thought it was going to be this really freaky horror movie. Um, yeah. And like, it's spooky. There's some scenes that are pretty freaky, but it's again, it's like, it's, it's very slow and it takes its mm-hmm. time and it's very like subdued and people were like, well, this isn't what I was expecting. Yep. And yeah, it's just a 24 is just, they're they're very they, they want people to see their movies but all the <laughs> movies that they pick are not very like trailer friendly movies yeah so yeah. yeah so they don't know how to like market them properly it's like i don't know i don't know if it's like like i guess marvel movies or blockbuster movies to blame for it but i feel like that's just like how it goes now and if you don't have a flashy trailer that like fits in that mold of like you got to get asses and seats like like if they had just made a trailer for pig and it was just like quiet and subdued and like nicholas yeah. cage just walking around being sad like i mean i would want i would want to go see that because that sounds great to me yeah but like you know you're not gonna get those you know people that go see it because they want to see i want to see john wick but with nicholas cage mm-hmm. like that's what they want and I think, yeah, same thing with the Green Knight. People are going to be like, oh, cool. I love the Lord of the Rings movies. I love that high fantasy. This looks like it's going to be that. Let's go. And then it's not. <laughs> it's very yeah. much not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was just pretty good. Pretty good. It was like, it was like seven, seven bordering on eight. I need to see it again. I definitely, yeah. it was definitely a good theater going experience where it was just like, yeah, I'm sure it's it very looks... trippy at parts and just very like, yeah. Yeah. Psychedelic, I guess. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, I have, t- I have two more that are like, uh, also kind of related in the way that my pick ones were. So I got, you just have one more. Okay, I guess I'll just do both of these. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know how much I have to, like, say about either one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just do both of them, and then we can end on, on yours. End with end with your last one. Okay. Um, okay, so they're both, they're two, uh, two music documentaries that I watched. Um, so I watch, I, I feel like when I get to, like, the end of the year, the first thing I go to is documentaries just i don't know the stories are always like really interesting to me and also they're just really easy to watch i think so <laughs> i watched yeah. gunda the truffle hunters and then although i watched these ones earlier uh and that's the sparks brothers and the beatles get back um, oh okay both were great uh i loved both of them um and that's definitely because i love both of those bands the the bands being the Beatles and then the Sparks brothers is about the band Sparks um, <clears throat> who are, I'll, I'll do that one first, I guess um, it's uh, it's the, these two brothers, Ron and Russell male who 
um, started started their band. I think it was it was half Nelson in the '60s, but basically they're just like they've been making music together since the sixties and like they Mm -hmm. have, I think like 25 albums together now. Oh Um, God. They have a band too. Um, and I think earlier on it was like, they more like kind of made stuff as a band, but now they're both like in their well into their seventies, maybe not well into their seventies, but, um, I think more of the music is just them too, like writing it now. Um, and if you, don't know the band either you or just the people listening it's they're a very they're very eclectic very um incredibly influential like you hear Mm -hmm. all the people who like um they're kind of like a like a kate bush i guess where i would say kate bush is maybe a little well i don't know like i neither of them are like super well known to like the general public but I would say both Sparks and Kate Bush are super influential in the, in the music scene. And like uh, the, the like tagline for the Sparks brothers documentary is your favorite bands, favorite band. Mm. Um, like, like a, like when comedians are like, he's a comedian's comedian kind of like, yeah, kind of. They're like, I don't know. I, uh, uh, um, pathfinders in in these different genres of music uh kate bush is another one of my favorite musicians like i mm-hmm. absolutely love kate bush she actually it's kind of funny because we were talking about again referencing the green green room episode these were the two others that i didn't mention as like my desert island bands is probably both <laughs> kate bush and sparks um <laughs> uh and it I, yeah i don't i don't know it's kind of hard to like really say like what they're about but they're like like you have uh um Russell who's like the lead singer frontman and like uh he's always like flamboyant suits, big poofy, you know, 70s hair and very like out there. Like he he's a frontman. And then Ron who he his thing is he's always like wears a suit. Mm-hmm. He has slick back hair all the way back um and like a Hitler stash. And he's always, he plays the keyboard and he's just like, his, his whole shtick is he's just like, uh-huh. whenever they're playing, he's just like this, like staring. Uh, like he just always very, looks pissed uh, off. Very like Penn and Teller almost. Like. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess I should also say because uh, both of these documentaries are directed by not traditional lead documentarian directors this sparks brothers documentary is directed by edgar wright um okay yeah i'm seeing that and then the beatles one that's uh peter jackson yeah 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 Yeah. um but uh i think what makes the sparks brothers documentary so great is those two like because it this is more like a regular documentary you know where it's you know they'll show like archive footage and then they'll you know talk to you know beck will say like oh yeah Mm -hmm. this is why i like this album and blah 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 and then they'll talk to like another artist um but then of course obviously through the whole movie ron and russell are you know commentating and talking and like they are so fucking entertaining to listen to i like it's so like i think even going into it blind um 
I still think that you like they're just so like fun to listen to. Like, Even if you don't know the band, they're like captivating and entertaining yeah. enough people to like draw you in just purely on like I guess their their own like charisma or just like yeah entertainment their charis- value yeah and just all the like the <clears throat> stories that they have to tell over the years mm-hmm. and stuff and like all the like trials and tribulations they've went through like I think they said like in the seventies Ingmar Bergman approached them to like do music for one of his movies and then like they talk about like how that fell through and stuff and um uh and then just yeah like their each album of theirs is so like unique in its own way like they they've tried so many different things throughout their career and they have so many different albums again um that it's really interesting hearing like every story about every album. It's like, well, how did this one come to be? Because it's so different than the one beforehand Mm -hmm. before that one. And then like the next one after that, so different than that one. And it's just really interesting to hear how they go from like a to B to C to wherever. Um, Mm -hmm. And the, like the fact that they're still cooking too. um, (laughs) They actually, they have it kind of the, the sort of like the ending point, I guess is, is mentioning that they, did finally after like multiple failed attempts because they love movies like they they uh that's like that was like their original passion i guess was was movies <coughs> um and that's why like the ingmar bergman thing was a huge thing there was a couple other times they'd been approached to do movies and it never fell through so um 20 in 2021 they finally uh got with this uh french director leo carac i don't know mm-hmm. if that's how you say his name um they co-wrote the movie with him and then they did all the music for it. It's called Annette with uh Marion Cotillard and Adam Driver. Oh. Um and I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. And I I've think listened I've seen like yeah, I've seen like trailers for that. I've listened to some of the songs and I like the music at least because it's sparks. <laughs> um well, it's it's like it's the cast of characters singing the song, but it's still cool. Um right. So it, that's kind of like where it builds up to. It's like, yeah, and they finally got their movie deal type thing. Yeah. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, they even talk about this one, this one time. It was like in like the early 2000s. They had something like 21, 22 albums at this point. And they set out to do this project where uh, for a month they did like this tour I, it wasn't like a tour. I think it was always at the same location. So it was a, whatever you call that. Like a residency? Or like a residency, a... yes. Okay. Um, At this place in like London, I think, where each night they played and like they went in chronological order. They played their entire discography. Oh, that's crazy. And like they're, they're describing, talking about, they're like, so, you know, we would take like a week or two weeks to learn, uh, to learn, um, sparks like their first album and then they're like and then we'd have to move and then we then once we got that down we're like okay cool so now we can move on to the next album so then we spend the next week or two learning come on on my house and but then by the time that we learned that one we've forgotten the previous album so (laughs) so then we have to go back and do that one again and they talk (laughs) about just like how exhausting it was but they apparently they 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 did it and like the fact that they like accomplish that is insane with how many albums they had out at that point yeah such a huge body of work just being able to remember shit from 40 years ago yeah 
Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm sure like eventually like that muscle memory comes back, but it's like when it's like, oh yeah, I wrote this song when I was 20. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, yeah. Um, and then actually I forgot I to mention it earlier, but the thing about them like being into movies at first, uh, I might've mentioned this in the movie chat, but it's pretty early on. Cause they're obviously talking about like their formative years and stuff, but they like talk about the, I forgot what it's called, but their, uh, I think it was like, it ended up being like their original name for their band was like this short film that they made or whatever. Um, mm. but, uh, it like it basically they're talking about how like it was it was either it was either Bergman or that other Jacques Tati I think it might have been Jacques mm-hmm. Tati um basically they were making like a Lynch Park of like a Jacques Tati movie <laughs> and they were like and the way that they were describing it is like exactly how we describe like making Lynch Park they're like we're like we're ma- they're like we we love Jacques Tati, but we like to make fun of people who like Jacques Tati uh, and like uh-huh. all that. And it was like, it was so cool hearing them talk about that because it's like, that is exactly how I feel yeah. about like our stuff. Um, yeah. And watching it, watching their, like the clips that they show from that, it feels very like Lynch Parky. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, that rules. So that's, that's that one. I think I, I gave it an eight. It could be an eight or nine. Like it's, it's, but it, I would say this with like a for both of these um with the caveat that like I really like these bands and my mm-hmm. scores are definitely influenced by me just thinking these people are very entertaining to watch um cuz the movie's two and a half hours and I, I should I should preface that that like it is it is kind of a commitment. I think I did end up watching it in like two chunks the the Sparks movie. And then uh Get Back um the Beatles one um is like it's actually episodes. It's three episodes. I think it's like six or seven hours. Um, Shit. Uh, and it's basically, um, it's there. It's kind of a, a chronicling of the the final released album by the Beatles, which ter- which was Let It Be, but it was recorded before Abbey Road. But it was kind of, this is the last one that they all kind of were like working on as a band together because Abbey Road was more like Paul kind of worked by himself, you know, and like they were kind of more fractured there. Although they said that they had like a lot easier time making Abbey Road. I think by the time they did Abbey Road, they were like, yeah, we're probably going to break up, but we're kind of okay with it now. Like, I think Abbey Road was easier to make, but it was more separate. Um, they were all getting separate hotel rooms and taking separate buses to concert venues and like yeah. all kind of you know shit you hear about with rock stars that like oh yeah did you know that like Axl Rose and uh, Slash don't even talk to each other or yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that yeah. kind of petty band drama stuff yeah and it's uh I I I just I'll just say I gave this one a ten but that is probably even more with the caveat that I just really like the Beatles because I will say that the first episode of this, which is like two and a half hours, each episode is like roughly two and a half hours. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, like it's, they all kind of are this more or less, but the first one especially is literally just them like playing music in a studio and them just like kind of talking in between. 
but it's like if you like the Beatles, you are here for that shit. Yeah, yeah. And like all the little banter is so I don't know, it's just so fun. I've seen clips. These guys talk. I've seen a few clips of it. Yeah. And there's like but there's some moments that really elevate it. Like, dude, it's so f- there's there's this part where um they show up to the studio one day. It's just it's everybody but John. And I guess the only reason is because like I think they show up and they're like Lennon's late again, I guess. And like I guess I just John Lennon just was late a lot. Um mm-hmm. uh and Paul's just like, "Okay, well let's let's he's like, ah, "Let's try something." And he just starts like playing his guitar and literally like it it's it's so cool. It doesn't like break. It's just it's probably like an 8-minute shot or something of just the three of them sitting there, George, Ringo, and Paul. And Paul fucking just writes get back like right there it's fucking insane you're like (laughs) like like you hear these stories about like how like oh yeah i just wrote this like you know i just the idea came to me and i just kind of like wrote it that night but like seeing it in person you're like this is such a like an iconic beatles song and he just like he just starts playing his guitar and he's like okay but what if i do like this and then he just starts like nah, nah, nah. he just starts kind of like humming lines, and then he like eventually starts making words. And you're like, he's fuck, he's doing get back right now. <laughs> and he like he practically he writes the melody, and he he does like he does like half of the lyrics in that one thing. And then like you know George and Ringo start kind of like you know yeah, start doing yeah. a little bit of stuff, and like oh it's it's so fucking cool seeing that shit. That is, yeah, the one clip that I've seen. And it was it was sort of like one of those like in defense of Ringo kind of clips mm-hmm. where I think it was Octopus's Garden. Mm-hmm. They yeah, but they do like, that at some point. But there's like a sequence where I think like Ringo's like, Oh, well, I've got one. <laughs> and like he starts he's like kind of tinking it out on the piano. And I feel like it was like this very wholesome moment between Ringo and George. Oh yeah. Because I feel like I yeah. I feel like when he was kind of tinking out the song, I feel like John and Paul were just kind of like, oh, ha, 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 like, oh, you, oh Ringo wrote kind one. Of, yeah. But then, like, George goes over with his guitar, and he's just like, well, how about, what if we go to mm-hmm. this? Yeah, and then, I know like, you're talking about. And then they kind of, they kind of follow, and then it's just like, oh, well, you just wrote Octopus's Garden. Kind yeah. of the same thing with, like, Get Back, only maybe Get Back is, like, a more, you know, mainstream, I guess, popular Beatles song. Well, I, I but think... But it's still, like, that same idea. Yeah, I think that the, like the thing that makes the get back one so <laughs> crazy is because like even in that the octopus's garden one, he still kind of had like foundations of it. Yeah, and it seems like unless he's acting or faking it or whatever, like Paul literally had nothing when that started, mm-hmm. and then he comes up with it. Um, not yeah. to say that the other part is cool, and like yeah, that is really great to see. Like, oh, you get why like everybody liked Ringo so much. Like he is a very likable person. Like he's, yeah. just, he's so like, he's just nice. He's just such a nice dude. And yeah, George mm-hmm. is like, like that. Like you're like, Oh yeah. He's like such a, such a bro. Mm-hmm. Um, actually that, like what you're saying, what they, what like John and Paul were like to Ringo, that's it. They actually do that more with George. Um, they're very like, um, it's funny. Cause you always hear, like like them talk back about oh man that was so rough doing that album but then like before prior to this documentary any like quotes or anything you've like heard or seen or whatever like it's it's these like little chord like you know i was like oh well i disagree and then the other one's like oh 
that was so like traumatic yeah. for me or whatever but like in this you actually see like oh no yeah there was real conflict there like and a lot of it stemmed around um uh it's it's like paul is very controlling but it's uh-huh. it's really interesting how you kind of get everybody's side though like he's very controlling but at the same time it's like well somebody kind of has to be the boss here because like yeah john is a total like fuckwad like just he's he's such a fuck he's like he's like a fucking 12 year old most of the time it's so (laughs) funny seeing how like he held himself especially post Beatles. he was all like oh yeah you know matured or whatever and maybe it's because he lost that that relationship i feel like that was like his tie to like you know because they formed when they were teenagers yeah yeah and maybe after breaking up with the Beatles, he did finally like grow Grow up. up a little bit yeah um but it's just funny seeing him in this because he's just such a he's like a he's an annoying shit like I mean he's funny <laughs> he's really funny, but yeah um and like you know that they're still like really good friends because you see these like pretty rough like not fights like they're not like getting they're not sc- like screaming at each other but there's like real yeah like I said like real conflict there but then like in the final episode once they've kind of like gotten back on track and they they do have like a couple talks about it actually the first episode ends with george like leaving the group he's like yeah like at the uh, they like are like it's like the whatever the last day in the first episode and he's like yeah i I think that's it for me he's and they're like what he's like yeah i think i'm done and he just like puts down his guitar and walks out and then like the beginning of the second episode is like the rest the the rest of them john ringo and paul going to his house and like trying to be like hey okay let's talk this out and it uh, you don't see it you don't see or hear it or anything of course but it just says like the meeting didn't go well so then only paul and ringo show up the next day and it's really cool to like hearing how like uh intuitive these guys were about like they feel just like guys they just feel like regular dudes but also like hyper aware of their fame like yeah very intelligent and very self-aware because <laughs> Ringo and Paul like talking they're like kind of joking but then like there's a part where they start like they both start like crying and uh and then like I think it's Paul says like yeah and then in like 40 years you know what people are gonna say they're gonna say Yoko broke up the Beatles and uh, that's what people say <laughs> like it it's funny because like you see them interact with her and like, yeah, there's none. Like Yoko wasn't the reason that it happened. Like they're all fine with her. Like, yeah, I think she's fucking annoying, but they all seem fine with her. There's like, <laughs> there's actually a couple parts where they do like, they do jam sessions where they're just kind of like, probably yeah, fucking yeah. stoned and just like jamming. And then she's doing her. Wah! Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually a part after one of those where Paul, not John, uh, so like, you know that she had other, but like Paul and like, he seems serious he's like that was great we should put that on the album and i was like are you fucking kidding me could you imagine (laughs) if a fucking yoko ono song made it onto let it be like (laughs) that fucking album and like what that album means (laughs) it'd be such a black mark on their career (laughs) oh yeah Um, yeah i didn't know that i didn't so my question is is this just archival footage that peter jackson it's it's pretty much what he yeah it's did you ever see or hear about his he he did a documentary a few years ago called uh they shall not grow old 
about was it the World, World War One. He like colorized it. Really or cool, like yeah. That. Restored and colorized. It looks amazing. But it's just yeah. like that. Um no no current commentary. No there, you know, like Paul aged eighty gotcha. or whatever isn't on it. It's yeah, it's just archival footage. Was it was it stuff that had been released before in like snippets oh, or was it just like yeah. shit that was just sitting around in the cutting room floor and he just like, oh, there's a Beatles documentary I can make. I, yeah, I guess I guess I should have like provided this context. So I guess what their original intent was is they were going to do like they came in with the intent of doing a documentary on oh. this and they were going to release it as a TV special that was going to like release when the album came out. Uh-huh. Um, and eventually like a year later it did come out as a documentary called let it be but it's like one of those that's really i've never seen it it's really hard to find i guess but it's basically oh. like a like an hour and a half two hour like thing that they TV were able to special. do from it yeah i don't i don't exactly know but it wasn't their original like idea of like what they were going to do with this and that's why like the first half of this they're at this place called twickenham studios which is which they got because they could get it for cheap because it's where a movie that Ringo was going to be in after they were done recording. I think it was the magic Christian. Um, Oh, uh, yeah. Like he was recording, he was going to be in this movie in like February and they're film. they're doing the, basically they write this album in like two or three weeks. And the reason they do that is because they like, they basically set this deadline for themselves. They're like, okay, so we're renting out the studio, but we have to be out by then, by this time, because this movie is going to start. And also we're going to lose Ringo because he's in this movie. Um, (laughs) And then, but then like halfway through, they're like, yeah, this place sucks. The acoustics in this place suck. There's people move, like literally moving in pieces of the set for the movie. Like as we're trying to do our music, Um, (laughs) It's funny how, because like they, you know, they start, they form their own recording company with Apple core. Um, mm-hmm. like even though they were like the biggest band, they're still like, we can't afford this. Like they're talking about all the like money constraints that they have to face and stuff. And it's kind of interesting to like, think about it in retrospect. Um, so yeah, originally it was supposed to be that. And I, I also think that that kind of added stress to it. I think that also didn't help like them, uh, you know, we have to have this done in like three weeks. So, you know, it doesn't matter if this song isn't, isn't how you want it, Paul, like it needs to be done. And like, I just think that kind of like built up. And then it was also going to end with like their concert. They were going to do like their comeback concert. Right. Which as you know, now was their, their rooftop one. But that's also funny to think about because they're like, when they're first talking about it, they're like, yeah, we're going to go to Egypt and we're going to like play in front of the pyramids. And then they're like, okay, Uh maybe that's not going to work. Okay. Maybe we'll go to like Japan. Like maybe we'll go here. Maybe we'll go here. And then they end up playing on the roof, (laughs) which is just funny. The, like the trajectory (laughs) that takes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they, the shitting on George, I want to get back to that for a second because they, uh, they, uh, another super cool moment is hearing George like, Oh, I have this song I wanted to try out. I just wrote it. And they all play it together. And basically like at the end, John and Paul are both like, yeah, I don't know. They're kind of like, meh, maybe, Mm -hmm. but they're like, yeah, it like George gets treated like the little brother because he's the little brother. So they're like, yeah, maybe we'll put that on, but it was, it wasn't that great. 
And that song was All Things Must Pass, the title song on his number one triple album that came out like right after they broke up. And like, you fucking morons. (laughs) But also, just (laughs) hearing the Beatles play All Things Must Pass. Oh, yeah. Was very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of I guess try, trying to trying to wrap it up. I've not been going on for this mm-hmm. for a long time, but there's there's a lot there's a lot of content to it, and I love these guys. Um, there, I guess getting to like the end episode. Uh, yeah, even after like all this like all the bullshit, all the arguing, like near the end, there's like it's you hear about all this conflict between Paul and John, and yet like one of the last times they play in the studio together. They're like, I can't remember what song they're doing, but they're like playing through a song on, it's like, Don't Let Me Down, maybe, one mm-hmm. of the songs off of Let It Be. And they're just like, they're singing it to each other through like gritted teeth. Like they're going, yeah. like the whole song like that, like just fucking around with each other. So like there's shit like that throughout where you're like, man, like that's how you know that these guys were like real like friends. Because even after all the yeah. shit, they can just like dick around with each other and waste footage and waste people's time and all this shit. Um, and then, yeah, that, that concert at the end, which I'd never seen, I'd seen clips on YouTube of like the rooftop concert, but like, it was so cool to see in, in like real time. And what they do is like, they kind of cut around, but it's always in real time. So like, it might be edited, but it'll cut to like another angle or it'll cut to like people on the street, but it's always going. So you get the entire concert in real time. Right. Um, and like the police showing up, like when they show up, you it starts like doing like a double, a dual like frame thing. So like you'll see the concert and then the police downstairs. Uh and it's the moment when the police show up is so fucking great. It's like uh because they're standing up on the roof for a while, and then like uh you see like after they've been up there for a little bit, Paul like turns around for a second and then he looks forward and he's like grinning ear to ear and he's like whoa <laughs> he actually does like a whoa and uh he starts doing like like you can tell he's he's like amped because they're gonna get like they're gonna get like arrested or something like that <laughs> and also like the first shot where you see like the wide of them all playing you're like these dudes are so like after all that it's like such a cathartic moment for all of them mm-hmm. you think like they're so fucking pumped to be playing like like this again I'm, sh- I'm sure that was like such a cool like moment for yeah. them and then like anyways one of their like producers or recording dudes he who was like the one downstairs like talking to the police he just like he starts like unplugging their amps and he unplugs george's and then he unplugs john and they're both like what like you can't hear him obviously but they're like you know what's going on and he's like indicating the police and like blah blah, blah. and then George just takes his plug and he plugs his guitar back in like right in front of the cops and then just turns around and starts playing again. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then like the guy plugs John's back in too. And then they finish their set. And I just like, it's, it's like, uh, that's punk. Like I thought of that when you we were talking about yeah. green room again, like that's punk. Like you'd be like, no, fuck you cops. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, oh, it was great. it was awesome. the The concert too is just like it's it's probably like forty minutes, and they play a few songs over again because they were again filming this for their intended documentary. So it was kind of like the first one was like, oh, we didn't get great audio on that one, so can we do that one again? So you do hear some like a few times in a row, but again, like if you like 
it didn't bother me, I guess. And it's like, even if I've heard the song like two or three times already, it's like, you just like watching the people and stuff. And, yeah. and like, it'll always be like in the, throughout the documentary, it'll always say like, this recording is the one that's on the album. And every time that comes up, you're like, oh, cool. And there's like two or three of the songs they play on the rooftop concert are the recordings that are on the album, which is, that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you're, I mean, if you're a Beatles fan, at least like I, you got to see it. It's like it's, it's maybe my favorite. Like of all the Beatles documentaries that there have been, that they might be like my favorite. And it's literally just because you just get to see them. You don't, yeah. Uh, kind of like the Sparks Brothers, although like their commentary was nice. But like I could have just watched the Sparks Brothers with just those two talking about. It. I didn't need Beck or any of the other people talking yeah. about them. I just needed them. And like the Beatles are best when it's just you get to sit there and be with the Beatles. Um, so yeah. Okay. All right, go ahead. Let's, let's wrap. Oh, up. <laughs> I was just going to say, I guess this wasn't a 2021 documentary, but I was going to ask, cause I know it just got released or it got put on Criterion. but did you, have you seen Dick Johnson is dead? Nope. It's on my list though. Yeah. That's 2020 okay. though. I think it's on my 20. Yeah, list. it is. I just checked it. Cause I, I was wondering if you were going to bring it up as one of the documentaries that you watched, but, uh, no, I look, no, have you seen it, it or are you just, just no, no, uh, I saw someone, someone on Twitter talked about it and they said it was just like devastating. Like it was funny. That's, but that's, it's like, it's a guy who's like basically going through Alzheimer's, I think. And it's just, he's like, like a pro it's like early onset and yeah. yeah. And it's just like, they, they, they said that it's just like, it's very funny, but it is just like crushing. That's, that's why, cause I think it's on Netflix or, or it yeah. was at some point and like that, that's why I've been. I haven't watched it because I'm like I just I don't know <laughs> I don't know it's, it <laughs> seems it's a little heavy. heavy yeah 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 uh, well the last one that I have to bring in uh, is uh, licorice pizza oh yeah it's the Obviously. latest from Paul Thomas Anderson have you seen it yet nope don't know nope. nope okay part of this uh, because of my because I'm working on my my decade list I kind of <laughs> put off the ne- and since I'm behind i haven't finished my 2021 i need to so a lot like pretty much everything you've listed i think everything you've mentioned is on my list that i'm looking at right Right. now i just haven't (laughs) i gotta get to it eventually uh so yeah it tells the story of gary valentine who is played by cooper hoffman son of philip seymour hoffman and Alana Kane, played by Kane. Alana Heim. Oh, sorry. No, the character's <laughs> name is Alana Kane. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is, I don't know what number Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson movie it is. Like, Thomas and Mackenzie Anderson. It, 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 like, the time, nine Probably or ten, around maybe. ten. Yeah. Something like ten. that. So, it's kind of this uh, love letter to the 70s, as is, it takes place in the 70s in San Fernando Valley. What a surprise. From Paul Thomas Anderson. I think Boogie Nights took place in the same location. I think Probably. Inherent Vice is like 60s, 70s California. Man, the man has a specific era of California that he's just in love with. Yep. Um, and it's it's kind of this, it's coming, it's like a coming of age story. It's almost like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's very similar in the sense that okay. it's like there are actors portraying real people. Um, like oh, okay. Bradley Cooper plays John Peters, who was like a very famous hairdresser stylist oh, okay. who was like dating Barbara Streisand at the time. Um, and then God, I think there's other people. 
I think Jack Holt is Jack Holden a real person? Maybe. I think he is. He's played by Sean Penn. So there's like there's all these like sort of real historical characters sprinkled in, like Benny Safdie is in it playing. Oh yeah, I knew he's in that. uh, I think his last name's Wax. He's like who's like running for some sort of elected office in California, and like Alana Heim eventually like works for his campaign. So it's kind of like this budding romance story uh, with it's set in this California setting and uh gary gary valentine is very much like a a kind of like a smooth talking almost like a schemer like he's trying to come up with ways to be famous he's like a child actor that's kind of like his claim to fame oh okay and uh alana is a like like high school photographer like they meet literally on photography day like he's in line to get his high school picture taken she's working and he just like strikes up a conversation with her and then it just he basically is like following her around and talking to her all the time and basically being like, I know I'm, I'm 15 years old and you're like 20 something. She's like 25, but he's basically trying to like romance her, even though she's like, you're a kid and this is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's people have found that aspect of the film to be problematic. A lot of people have been like making tiktoks like don't go see licorice pizza Uh because it's got blah 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 and it's like i don't know it's i don't think it's necessarily like paul thomas anderson endorsing that type of behavior i think it's more of like when you're when you're in high school and you meet like an older woman and like you just you kind of get a crush it's like it's very it's very like childlike very light-hearted in that way like Uh It's definitely not as bad as like how these people describe it. Uh, it's also very funny. Like, I've heard, I think, I've heard uh, it's his most like, like light, like mm-hmm. funny, like uh, not because even Inherent Vice. I mean, not too much, but even Inherent Vice has like a it's, it's heavy. Boogie Nights seems like a comedy on the surface, but it's heavy. It's comedy, yeah, but it, it's got heavy moments. But I've heard this one's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, pretty, pretty light. Bradley Cooper as John Peters is like easily the funniest part of the entire movie. Yeah, like because apparently I think John Peters is like sort of notorious for just like I don't know if he's like a Hollywood bad boy, but he's definitely like unhinged, I think. Mm -hmm. And like so like one of the schemes that Gary comes up with is just like waterbeds. And so him and, like, his brother and, like, a bunch of, like, 12, 13, 15-year-olds are driving around in, like, a big moving van trying to, like, install waterbeds. And they end up at, like, John Peter's house. And he is just, like, I think they put the scene on YouTube. I think you can watch it. But he's just, like, he's, like, Gary, 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 Gary. He's just, like, (laughs) he's, like, if you do anything to my house, like, I'll, I'll kill you. (laughs) <laughs> like this like very like insane like you can tell he's just like crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like one line where he's just like i'll like i'll take this rod and i'll put it in your pee hole how big's your pee hole <laughs> like that <laughs> just like way out of left field <laughs> Holy shit. and uh it also factors in like the gas shortage that was happening at the time oh, okay. so it's like their their moving van runs out of gas so they have to push it down a hill and then they <laughs> run into john peters again and like he just kind of comes in and out, but uh, a huge ensemble cast, uh, lots of lots of famous faces in it. 
Mary Elizabeth Ellis plays his mom, mm. who okay. you might know her as the waitress from mm-hmm. It's Always Sunny. Uh, what's his face? I always want to say Nick Nolte, but it's Tom Waits. I feel like they have oh, a very similar <laughs> facial very, structure. Very rocky I guess. faces. Yeah. Thwomp very, faces. Yeah. yeah. Also, the entire Heim family is in the movie. Oh, yeah, as yeah. basically themselves. Like, they're all siblings and, like... Yeah, like but, like, the same, same names, too. Yeah, okay. Like, Alana comes home, she's like, Esty and Danielle, and then her parents' names. It's like, they all have the same names in real life. The parents are they're in They're very too? funny. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, their parents... They're, I don't want to say that they're industry plants, but their parents are, like, real estate developers from Israel, oh, okay. so... They're like they're they're pretty well off. Yeah, I mean, uh, you real like nowadays now that there's been a few generations of Hollywood, a lot of it's nepotism. So. Oh, one hundred percent. It's not not to like discredit their talent and ability, but there's a reason uh, that you might be able to have the time to hone your skills. Yeah. Uh, I mean, same with Paul Thomas Anderson. I think his dad was like a, a movie announcer, or he was like th- he like worked on Hollywood sets. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He, so he's he been in the industry from, all his life. I mean, he's like he's like from San Fernando, or yeah. like right around there. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he directed all of the high music videos. I think he's directed a bunch of Radiohead music videos too, because Johnny Greenwood, yeah, is back for the score. He John did- C. Riley has an amazing Blink and You Miss It cameo. Oh, cool. He's like. He's in it. For, you 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 don't even know it's him until you hear his voice, and then you're like, "Oh shit, that was John C. Riley." Because <laughs> I don't think he's been in a PTA movie since Magnolia. No, Did you say John C. Riley? Yeah. Oh yeah, Magnolia is after. I I always think Boogie Nights is later, but yeah. No, yeah. yeah, he was like Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and then John C. Riley hasn't been in one of his movies. Yeah, since I don't. Then. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Which think is he really strange. Been. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, did you see that? Uh, he did that short film. It was kind of like a music video thing called Anima, with Tom York. It's like yeah, it's like a it's like a string of like two or three songs, mm-hmm. but it's like a it's like one continuous sort of short film with like Tom okay. York as like the main character. Um, it was interesting. I don't remember yeah much, i know but. he put an album out i think that accompanied it or something like that yeah i yeah i don't know if i listened to the album other than that but i don't know gotcha i like yeah. most of uh, tom york solo stuff too his yeah soundtrack for suspiria was really good oh yeah 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 um what else yeah the johnny greenwood score was pretty good i think it very much in the in the same vein as boogie nights it was mostly supplanted by like songs of that era like very sure. lo- lots of needle drops like yeah. very well timed good needle drops i think there's like a donovan song in there nice as well nice um although i do think my favorite johnny greenwood like pta scores probably is there will be blood and then actually has I he done everyone don't... has he done every movie since there will be blood Every one of his since I then. think so. I think so. Because okay. he did The Master, he did The Holy Blood, he did Inherent Vice. And I think my number two favorite score is of Phantom John Thread. Greenwood's is Phantom Thread. I mean, the, I, don't, I don't remember it, but I could I could like a score and not like a movie. It's, <laughs> so It's just, it could it, be right. it, it, he so perfectly captures like 
1950s London, mm-hmm. like that era. I think it's like the House of Woodcock is like the main theme that plays throughout the movie. It's like this very beautiful, like cascading piano thing. And it's like that type of piano recording where like you can hear the hammers hit the strings. Like, yeah. 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 It's like that. It's got that physical quality to it. Yeah. Maybe I'll listen to but that again. I haven't. It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where it stands overall in like my my PTA ranking. Mm-hmm. Chloe was like, "That's my number one immediately." <laughs> really? she, we watched it, and she, it, she hasn't seen Magnolia, and we haven't finished Inherent Vice. But oh, I okay. think, other than Heart Eight, I haven't seen Heart Eight either. But we've, I think, we've I watched almost all of them together. But she was like, her number one is Licorice Pizza, and her number two is Phantom Thread. But I, that might be a little bit of recency bias because we watched okay. both of them like pretty recently like i think boogie nights will always be my number one hmm. like but See, uh to, to me it's like like uh um god i i would say like everything there will be blood in before just at a having not seen any of them in a long time uh and i guess not counting hard eight i haven't seen that one either um is at least an eight. Like I would say everything there will be blood and previous. I at least really like, like I really, yeah. Um, but I can't see anything topping. There will be blood for me. Like that is, that's, I, I just, I guess I'll say like, that's, I think that's the only movie of his that is on my, my sort of tentative, not super solid, uh, top 50 movies of all time list. There will be blood's the mm-hmm. only one. Um, it's uh, yeah. So like, I guess I'm like that's that's an, a total ten out of ten. Um, and again, I'd have to see like Magnolia, Boogie Nights, those like eights or nines probably. But like, it's, there's still like a chasm between those and there. Like, I just I love there will be yeah. blood. Like, I just I can't see I yeah. can't see any of them topping that for me. I mean. For I mean, for me, both both Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood are like perfect films. Yeah. They're like they're like they're both ten out of tens for me. It, it's I, I feel like later era Paul Thomas Anderson are they're still very good. Mm-hmm. I think they're still very well crafted and done. I just I don't I don't know something about them. Like <clears throat> we rewatched The Master not too long ago. And like, okay, I watched it again. Like again, that second viewing for me, for some reason, really like clicked. I, yeah, and I was like, oh shit! Okay, I saw this in theaters like when it came out in mm-hmm. like 2012, a decade ago. And so rewatching it again, again, maybe it's that recency bias, but it's uh, yeah, no, the master I think is also definitely up there, especially if, like for Philip Seymour Hoffman as like a leading character. Yeah, him and Joaquin Phoenix are both <laughs> awesome in that. Yeah, like especially that ending scene. I don't know. It's uh, when it's like the final. Yeah, you have to remind me of the final. He <clears throat> so Freddie comes back. Like I think Lancaster Dodd is in London. And Freddie finally comes back. And like, th- I think it's like right after that scene where he just gets on the motorcycle and just drives and he's gone. Okay. And okay. then I think eventually they, they sort of reconnect. <clears throat> and then they, they kind of have this, not necessarily like a confrontation, but it's just like, you can just see Philip Seymour Hoffman's face. Like he's red. 
<laughs> and he's and he's just like he's like if you leave me now like I never want you to come back here again and then he's like or you can stay <laughs> like <laughs> and and they're like talking and then Freddie is just like he's like maybe in the next life and it's maybe one of my favorite it's like one of the hardest quotes from like the entire movie if Freddie's like he's like oh you know maybe in the next life. And then Lancaster Dodd is like, if we meet again in the next life, you will be my sworn enemy and I will show you no mercy. <laughs> like, it's just like, and then he sings, he sings like slow boat to China. Oh, to okay. Freddy. No, I remember this. Is he like up on his porch and then, or maybe that's no, before he's he leaves, like, but... he's in like a big, like almost like a banquet hall and he's like sitting at his desk. Okay. Okay. But there's a scene where he gets arrested on his porch. Oh, okay. That's, that's with like Jesse yeah. Plemons. Yeah. But he, yeah, he sings Slow Boat to China. And like, again, like Philip Seymour Hoffman is like trying not to break. And it's just one of those scenes where like Freddie's looking at him and you just see the single tear <laughs> roll down his cheek and then he gets up and leaves. It's just like, it's like these, these two forces that are constantly like, they need each other, but they're at opposition with each other, like throughout the entire thing. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like it's a very mature film for Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson. When you go from like the wild and crazy days of Boogie Nights and Magnolia and just like, yeah, he's on top of the world. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Even Punch Drunk Love, which like in recent viewing, I like adore Punch Drunk Love. Hmm. Like maybe one of my, it's probably my two favorite Sandler movies are easily like Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love, which hmm. sort of have that same frantic, like Vibe. uncomfortableness throughout. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, we're talking, uh, we're talking a lot about PTA. Licorice Pizza though, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I would recommend seeing it. I think all the performances in it are pretty great. Uh, I saw one review. It might've been Electro Lemon. Demi Adijuibe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's, he, he wrote something on Letterboxd where he was just like, Bradley Cooper might be like the last movie star. Hmm. Something something along those lines about just like, there aren't really like movie stars anymore, but like Bradley Cooper kind of has that career trajectory. I don't know. It just, it seemed interesting. interesting. But yeah, Bradley Cooper definitely steals the show with his because he, he's not in it a lot, mm. but his character is yeah. just like so goddamn good. That's that's good. I yeah, so, I'm excited. It's just like trying to rank PTA movies, and especially this one. It's just like again, it's like the lowest rated movie for him is like eight. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like even the one in like my bottom is like incredible in comparison to like so many other things. Right. Yeah. So. I think I'll put Licorice Pizza at an eight. It might go higher based on repeat viewings. We'll see. That's kind of how it works. Oh, I was uh, the only thing I was gonna say. Also, it was just like, it's the movie's not a tearjerker. Mm-hmm. It is if you love Philip Seymour Hoffman, because there are scenes where like you you the way Cooper Hoffman will do like a mannerism or like look a certain way, yeah, and it's like you get a flash of it and you see you see Philip Seymour Hoffman in him and it's just like, it's kind of a gut punch. Like there's a scene where like he's getting dressed up in like a three piece suit Mm -hmm. and he kind of like adjusts his collar like that. And it's like, that's, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. The way that he like just kind of looks and does it. It's just like, oh man. That's interesting. Cause like, like 
facially, like seeing him in the trailers, I don't think he looks like him at all. So that's it. But like, I, I know what you mean. Like still like in how people act, they can like give like, yeah, uh, there's moments, there's flashes of it. Like, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested. You'll to just see catch that. it out of the corner of your eye almost. And you're like, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Sounds cool. Um, yeah, I he's one of those that like I always I I um I don't know how to put it cuz even with like <clears throat> my so-so feelings about Phantom Thread and um I mean I would like it's not much lower like you you were saying other than Phantom Thread like I would still say that like The Master and Inherent Vice from Memory are probably like sevens for me. Mm-hmm. Um so still good, still solid. I still enjoy them. Um, uh, I, so I, I guess I'm just saying like, I don't think he, he's not like as high for me as he is like for you, mm-hmm. but um, he's still, he's one of the, he's one of like my directors to where like, I'm no matter what, I'm always going to see anything the guy puts out. Like David mm-hmm. Fincher is another like good example of like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> his more recent stuff over the last decade it's not as strong um but it's always like uh was this uh, 2020 was when he did mank which like as a movie as a whole i was like eh but mm-hmm. at the same time when it got to oscar season i was like that movie should win every single technical award <laughs> like and that's why I like these guys. So even when I'm like eh, about the movies, I'm like I can like I'm always like in awe of like their skills as filmmakers. Yeah. I'm like fuck these guys know how to put together. A oh movie. yeah, absolutely. And like that's what Mank was like, top to bottom. Like it was yeah as a movie as like wow this is shot very well. This looks amazing. Everything mm-hmm. looks and sounds and feels great. But I just didn't like love the overall thing. Yeah, it was fine. I feel like David Fincher is another example of a director who had like just a three movie run in the nineties that was just like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Like he had like seven Fight Club and then I, for, I guess the game. That I haven't okay, I need to, I the game might be the it's crazy. Only so crazy. I think that might be the only God damn it. I hate IMDB. It like includes like I was trying to look up how many things PTA directed, but it's like Hey, music video. Hey, music yeah. video. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I want their movies, obviously. <laughs> um, I think the game is the only Fincher movie I haven't seen. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like at least seven Fight Club. Um, at least those. But I think for me, oh no, it wasn't in a row because like I think Curious Case of Benjamin Button is like fine. But mm-hmm. sandwiching that are my two favorite Fincher movies, uh, Zodiac and then Social Network. That's right. We um, also just, yeah, we just watched Zodiac recently too, which yeah. again, shot that movie up. I'm just subject to recency bias because yeah. Zodiac, I was like, oh yes, oh yeah. Well, I, I, may, I think I mentioned it on the show before, but Zodiac is what, it's like, it's, it's one of my like two or three favorite movie ever like of all time or whatever mm-hmm. um that i never decide between the two or three but it's it's one of those um and then social network is like arguably my favorite movie of 
the 2010s. Fincher's? No, 2010s. no, 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 no. Okay. Zodiac is my favorite no, no. movie of Fincher's. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, okay. I'm saying uh, Z- Social Network is number two, and it's arguably my favorite movie of the of the last decade. But it's also kind of like, as much as I love the Social Network, it's a ten out of ten. It's maybe my favorite movie of the top of the last ten years. But there is again a so much between that and Zodiac, like right. Zodiac's so good. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like he's you know since then like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, solid. Oh yeah, Gone Girl, fine. Mank, yeah, me fine. <laughs> so it's you know I need these guys to and you know maybe Licorice Pizza will be that for me for PTA. Um, but I need these guys to like. I need him to shine again. <laughs> get your get your youth back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even Scorsese, I would kind of say like, eh, Scorsese's been around so long though. I think he he's just had he's just yeah he's he's yeah. been around long enough to where he can have like a streak and then like a dip and then a streak and then you know yeah um because he's he's directed some of my favorite movies too but mm-hmm. I don't think any i have really enjoyed in the last decade or so like i i know a lot of people like it but like i think wolf of wall street is like pretty mid i don't really like that movie that much um silence i've watched twice i really want to love it but it's just eh. <laughs> yeah um same thing with the irishman i really want to like yeah. that movie more but i don't know yeah I don't know. Maybe yeah, I feel me. like maybe he kind of peaked at The Departed. I mean, that's that's my favorite movie of his, yeah. Yeah. But he's... I also haven't seen a lot of his older stuff. I haven't seen, like, Casino, Goodfellas, like... Well, see, that's that's the funny thing, is, like, those are, like... Those are considered his, like, best. Or, like, you yeah. know, depending on who you ask. But, like, I haven't seen Casino, but I also think Goodfellas is just, like, fine. I think Taxi yeah. Driver is fine. Um... Uh, okay, I've seen Raging Bull as well, and I, I, I was like, okay, it's so, fine. That's yeah. it's probably the the exact same thing. But then he has these like random like uh uh maybe my second favorite of his after Departed is uh um the fucking Last Temptation Last of Temptation of Christ. And it's just like a random like boop from like the mid eighties, like in between all these other like gangster movies and whatever, and um he just it randomly will have something like that. That's just like <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, still like regardless, like again, like all of these guys, regardless of how I feel about some of their individual movies, m- like maybe those three and maybe Bong Joon-ho, maybe Chen Wook Park. Those, that might be those, those five might be like the top five five like living directors for me uh, right yeah. now like argue like yeah. those are just the people that i randomly listed but it they might be like the, those those five. they're they're the ones doing the most interesting like stuff out today and just uh, yeah and just again like most impressive masters like, of their craft masters of their yeah. craft exactly like yeah um okay all right so that went on a lot. I'm glad we ended with PTA so we could kind of go on like a, a, a more of like a, a wider yeah. thing into cast a wider net, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you don't want to be spoiled for any of these movies we just talked about, uh, don't <laughs> listen to this. 
Um, I don't really, I was thinking about, I'm not going to be like, well, I don't know. Should I do like next week we're doing this? Cause like we're the only ones watching this when it's air, like when this eventually gets released. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just, yeah so there will be yeah. an episode next. What will be true no matter what time you listen to this. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> there will probably be an, an, another episode next week of the, of there will be duds which is yeah. shorter and more structured than this uh, at 7 p.m. on Twitch. Wednesdays. On Wednesdays, yeah. On Twitch, YouTube, and then in uh, podcast form, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Um, you get to hear us and a couple other guys, so maybe it's a little more interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk about more obscure movies than just ones that came out from the last year. Uh, so, and we have socials and stuff, you know, on all the social things. Give them a rating. Yeah. You can rate on Spotify. You can rate on Apple podcasts. You can leave reviews on Apple podcasts. Uh, All that stuff helps. Hell yeah. Um, and I'm not going to do a nickname because this isn't the main show. (laughs) dj (laughs) and i'm also not doing that i'm nick aka dr funk on twitch and we'll see you next time yep bye bye